And most of my videos are at least an hour or more long. And I learned that it's a good idea maybe uh, so you don't lose people right away to do time markers in a video. So check out that description box underneath the video here on YouTube and look to see what the time markers are. You may not want to sit through certain parts of the video so you can go immediately to a time marker that is telling you what's there at that point in the video. And that may speed up the process for you if you don't want to sit for an hour through everything. If you want to just get to the point, get those time markers and go right to the parts of the video you want to actually see and see them quickly. Uh, and I found that's worked very effectively uh, for a lot of my viewers over this last couple of years we've been doing this. And I wish I would have known that years ago. All right, now let's just take a, a clear example of what I'm talking about with these time markers. Okay, a video we did called The Christian Worldview According to the Bible Alone, which is utterly rejected by most of the world. Here we see the time markers which are located not only in the description text, right underneath the, the video, but then also down in the comment section. I always put the time marker information down in the comment section as well. Usually I pin that comment at the top so people can see where they can click to certain parts of the video and go directly to those topics immediately. Okay, now let's take a look at this one now, just as an example. Here we see at the 1314 mark, if you want to just jump there to see what that talks about, it says Rob begins his presentation by sharing comments from Abraham Kuyper. You have a link there about the distinction between those who have been regenerated and those who are not. You click on that marker with your, your mouse, then you'll go right to this segment of that video. He begins by saying human beings would find differences between themselves and perhaps differences would be ultimately lead perhaps to some kind of advancement in the unity of truth. Okay, you just saw that immediately when you click on the time marker. Now let's take another example at the 1921 mark about John 3, 3 through 4. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You click on that and you go immediately to this clip. Jesus answered in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, to the question, how can one be born again in that pericope of the scripture by saying this? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, another example. Time marker 2841. The Great Divide. Natural man versus spiritual man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So I call it the Great divide. It's the difference between what the Bible calls the natural man and what the Bible calls the spiritual man. Listen to these words by the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in his letter to the Corinthians, now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now listen to this. This is important. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Okay, one more example to show you how this all works. 4113 in the time marker. If you click on this, the following clip is what you'll immediately see. And he says, now the deeds of the flesh, these natural impulses are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, worshiping a false god or anything you put in the place of the one true God, sorcery, messing around with satanic kinds of movies, shows, board games, videos, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and then he throws in, and things like these. Okay? He gives a laundry list of the kinds of things that most Christians would read and say, Well, I'm not I'm not there. Women. Jealousy, strife, outbursts of anger. Factions, sensuality, it doesn't sound like anybody can go to heaven. I mean, everybody's kind of done this or been a part of this. That's not the apostle's point. His point is, I forewarn you just as I have forewarn you that those who practice such things, and what he means by practice such things is that there is no evident repentance, there's no evident conviction, there's no evident change in their behavior. They are going along to get along. They haven't stood against it in their own hearts, let alone the culture. And he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here you have a clear example of how the time markers can not only give you a summary of what's contained in the entire video itself without you actually having to spend the time to watch the entire video. It'll also hone you in on the spots you were most interested in hearing about during the time you have available. So check out those time markers before you begin a video, which may save you a lot of time and also give you a good idea what the whole video is about. With that... We'll get into our programming. Thank you.
Greetings and welcome once again to our program. I'm Larry Wessels, your host, and I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Christian Answers Presents. Well, today's subject is going to be on something that's bothered me for a long time. Of course, uh, looking around this lost and fallen world, there's a lot of things that have bothered me because I look at everything from a biblical perspective. I go with the Word of God as being my authoritative guide getting to getting through this this life that we find ourselves in. Temporary it is where no matter how old you live, we're still just pilgrims passing through. Even if you live 80, 90 years, you don't, you know, that's really not that long when you look at all of human history and eternity beyond this. Uh, even Psalm 90, I think it's verse 10, says that uh, we're doing well to make 70 years and even better if we make 80 years. But when you look at it, that's not that long in the whole spectrum of time itself. So it's just a, a, a whisper, a brief, uh, brief, a brief moment, a uh, speck of time. So we're not here that long before we can turn back into dust and so forth. Okay, joining me in this program is my very special guest and dear friend, Christian brother, Rob Zins, who has been with me doing programs now for, at the time of this video recording, 32 years. That's a pretty good track record. And we've, we've done way more than 100 videos together. And uh, I've never done the exact count yet. It would be most interesting to find out. But uh, Rob, uh, a lot of our regular viewers uh, are well familiar with you. But for any new viewers we might be getting for this video, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, brother? All right, Larry, it's good to see you again and happy to be doing uh, whatever number of video we are doing. I've lost <laughs> time as well. But either way, uh, yeah, I'm still involved uh, directly as the director of a Christian witness to Roman Catholicism. And uh, I spend most of my time uh, writing and uh, doing internet debating right now with uh, Roman Catholic scholars and also helping Christians understand the difference between Christianity based upon the Bible alone and the Roman Catholic religion. And I'm glad that you uh, asked me to say a couple of words because I'm very, very encouraged and excited to tell you that my co-author and uh, dear friend Tim Kaufman from uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and I have written a book together answering some audacious claims of the Roman Catholic scholarship community. And that book will be going to the final edit in August as we pull everything together. And it's the kind of book that I think will help each and every kind of Christian because we're answering one of the favorite writers of the Roman Catholic apologetic community. And he has written two books and made outstanding, astounding claims for the Roman Catholic religion as far as biblical credibility. So we are answering each and every claim that he is making and we're showing that the Roman Catholic religion is a religion based outside of scripture and cannot be proven from scripture. And it's good to have these Roman Catholic scholars out there because they work night and day trying to prove to 
us that their religion, in fact, is totally biblically based, and they're not shy about it. They continue to produce, they continue to write, so we're able to analyze it very carefully and to give a response to what they're trying to prove from the scriptures. So this is uh, what I've been doing, uh, as you know, over the last 25, 30 years or so. And, well, uh, 32 at least, because when we did our first videos together in 1990, we that's, did. Easy, that's easy to calculate from 1990 to this year. So that would be 32 years. And uh, So there you go. Yeah, 32 years. It's, it's hard to believe, and they go by faster every year. Yeah, and the older you get, the faster time goes. It's, it's yeah. amazing, you know. So, yeah, but so you still look good after all these years, so you're doing good. So uh, with that, uh, could you mention real quick your website? Right. If, you, if you'd like to look at our materials, just go to Google and type in CWRC. That'll take you to our homepage. But the full website is CWRC-RZ.org. And we've just uh, completed a brand new website for the ministry. And uh, so far, it's running well. And we've had a lot of interest. And right now we're trying to move up on the, uh, I guess it's called the, the hit parade because <laughs> there are a lot of CWRCs out there. And we need to be on top of all of them to make it easier for people to find us. But once you get on our webpage, you can go through the entire web and download free information, PDF files, articles. We have a, a quality section of materials available. You can order through PayPal anything that we have. And uh, I think you even have some of your videos are posted on that website. Is oh, that right? yes. There's an entire video section. That's when the hair was a little bit darker. <laughs> I almost hate videos by the color of the hair. But at any rate, yeah, we go all the way back to videos. We've done a lot of them. And uh those videos are easy to watch. We encourage all of you to, to come to CWRC and take a look. Yeah, in fact, uh, you and me, uh, people can look at our videos and they can see us grow old together. On your videos and my videos, they want to see me when I was in my 20s. They can see me when I'm in my 20s, and my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s. Exactly. <laughs> they, can, exactly. They, can watch, they can watch us grow old if they watch enough videos. Uh, yeah. We might grow old, but the, uh, the Bible doesn't change. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, That's why those yeah. old videos from 30 years ago that we did are still out there getting views even to this day. Yeah. They're, they're, still, they're still watching you uh, debate the Monsignor Ed Jordan. From the Diocese of Austin. <laughs> that, that, that particular debate has hundreds of thousands of views, and people keep watching it even 30 years later or so. So that's the beauty of it. It's sort of like the Bible. It, it's always the same. My, my Bible here gets old, but uh, the Word of God contained in it is eternal. And uh, Exactly. Yeah, the, the, the grass withers, the flower faded, but the Word of our God stands forever. Amen. So uh, what I wanted to talk about in this particular episode is the following, and you can see it on your screen here. List of delusions people have and lies they believe since they don't believe the Bible, which attests to being the Word of God. Now, one of these major delusions 
is point number one here, as you can see it on your screen. Human beings and all creatures on the planet, including the planet itself, are all products of random chance and dumb luck over billions and billions of years. The Big Bang and Darwin's evolution theory created all things, not God Almighty. An intelligent power residing over the universe of material objects does not exist, and we know it because of Darwin and scientism. Okay, so there's your your number one probably humongous and major delusion that people believe. I don't believe what I just read you there. What you see there is what people have deluded themselves with. That belief system that there's no God, that Darwin's theory of evolution, that everything just evolved uh, from a big bang that who knows where that came from, right? <laughs> uh, this, is, this is what people base their lives on, on this titanic delusion that there is no God Almighty, that it's just all random chance and dumb luck. And somehow, by whatever we've gotten here from this process, and thank goodness for Darwin, who lived in the 19th century, because if he doesn't come up with his theory of origins, well, what are we going to do? We might have to believe that God really did create the earth and the universe and everything that's in it. But Darwin is our high priest of reality. So he knows better, especially when you add scientism to what he had to say. Even though scientifically, most of everything he, he, he has said has been refuted by science, but because people don't want to believe the true science, they believe in scientism, as it's called. And so uh, people don't even stop to think critically about it because they're brainwashed into believing this from educational systems and the public schools, university level. All this evolutionary theory is taught as fact when it's not fact at all. It's just a delusion that people use to brainwash other people to believe this, this, this metaphysical religion of Darwinism. Well, anyway, we've got a whole playlist on our uh, YouTube channel which covers Darwinism and evolution and all this type of stuff. We also have another playlist which ties into it on atheism. And you can see the screen uh, shots of those particular playlists, which have lots of videos on them. And we're going to play some of the clips from some of this stuff to go into the science behind this versus the scientific scientism of the evolutionists and the atheists who want it to be this way, but there's nothing really they can do about this delusion because they're stuck with it because otherwise they're going to have to believe the truth, which is the truth, which is God actually exists and created everything we find ourselves in. They don't want to believe that so they can live their lives in evil and sin any way they want to. Uh, and of course, the things that go on here, the, the four major questions to ask somebody that believes in this evolutionary scientism 
are these four questions. You see it on your screen. A, where did the matter of the universe originate? B, how did life begin? C, where are all the supposed transitional fossils between Precambrian and Cambrian periods? And D, from where did the dinosaurs come from? All four of these cannot properly be answered by these Darwinian uh, evolutionary religionists with their metaphysical religion. Uh, they have to come up with all kinds of theories, and you know they don't want to. Sound, they try to sound as intelligent as they can, but the bottom line is they have to say, "Well, I don't know. Well, maybe it was this, or maybe it was that, or maybe." And it's all because they don't want to believe the truth of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God explains this clearly in Romans chapter one. Now, take a look at me. Take a look at with me here and what the Bible says about all this in Romans chapter 1, then you'll understand why these, these Darwinian evolutionary metaphysical religionists want to believe that there's no God, that there's billions of years, and uh, everything just came by accident and dumb luck. They, they're stuck with this because, it, and basically it's just a theory, a religion, that just doesn't want to say, I don't know, so they try to sound scientific when it's really more scientism that they use. But the Word of God already explains what they're doing here. And here it is. Starting in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, read along with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19 because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Cross-reference that to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Cross-reference that with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And when you look at all this evolutionary religion of Darwinism, that these secular uh, politicians, scientists, uh, uh, all kinds of people out there that want to live like hell itself, very wicked, they turned to, into what this verse is talking about, verse 22 in Romans 1. Because professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator 
who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see what I'm talking about here? You can see it in our own society. Sins as described here by God in Romans chapter one, uh, here in verse 27, 28, even in uh, verse 25, all these verses I just read, men don't want to think that God created the world because if, if God really did that, they would have to answer to a righteous and holy God for the wickedness that they do. And they don't want that. So they try to create all these phony religions and the religion of Darwinism uh, and evolution and billions of years so they can kind of sweep God under the rug. Just pull up that rug and, oh, these billions of years and all this evolution. Well, in the scientism we believe in, uh, well, that gets rid of God so we don't have to think about him because they don't want to think about him because then they'd have to answer to their sins. But see, God's already got their number here in Romans chapter 1, and he explains what's going on here, and this is what we see all throughout our society. Okay, coming back here, as I said, in Romans 8.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, you can see the consequences here. God gives all these wicked and evil people up to a reprobate mind. He, God does it to them on purpose. He lets them believe a lie, which also goes back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, where God, since they won't believe the truth, sends them a lie, so they will believe the lie, so they all might be damned who believe not the truth. So God actually, this is a judgment of God on these people. When they turn to evolution and Darwin so they can get rid of God and believe in all these other crazy, untruthful fables so they don't have to face a righteous God, well, God says, okay, you want it that way? Here you go, I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind so you'll believe all these lies and you'll do all this wickedness and then I'm going to judge you after you die 
and judgment day is coming and you will have to pay for all your sins because you rejected Jesus Christ, my only begotten son, as, as the scripture talks all about. The Bible is uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's over 450 uh, uh, messianic prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus uh, fulfills all those prophecies. Basically, it's 300 direct messianic prophecies found in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament, and another 150 with inferences off those. So, and then we have lots of videos. We have videos on biblical prophecy, supernatural biblical prophecy to validate all this. But anyway, and you can see those on your screen as I'm, I'm talking here. Uh, so check those out if you want more on the, the biblical prophecies that have been fulfilled historically uh, and in real time actually happened so here's the consequences of this uh, Romans 1 completely explains what's going on in this first list of delusions and as I just mentioned Second Thessalonians chapter 2 this is one of the delusions that God in his, his judgment uh, and his wrath will put upon people who don't want to believe in God, God says, okay, go ahead, fulfill your evil, fulfill your sin, and uh, you'll be judged after you take your last breath in this life. If you don't uh, suffer the consequences in this life, you'll get it in the next for all eternity. It's not a, it's not a good delusion to fall into. Now, uh, with that said, uh, I want to take some time here to... Uh, show some of the clips from our different videos uh, so we can give you more evidences to show why saying there's no God, there's billions of years, Darwin's religion, and all this stuff, which has been brainwashed into society by all of the humanists, the agnostics, the secularists. Secularism is a, a great evil that's taken over our society here and around the world. Uh, because it fulfills exactly what's going on in Romans chapter 1, which I just read to you here. Uh, and so I just want you to realize, if you're a good, faithful Christian, the kind of situation we're dealing with here in our lives, in our, our land, and throughout the world. And, of course, this kind of situation for most of world history has been going on like this. Uh, so it's really nothing new. It's just we're a little more surprised to be seeing it so big time evident in the United States where we are now. Now, now it seems like all Christianity is being wiped out, uh, so they can follow this 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 uh, agnostic, atheistic type, anti-religion, uh, secular religion, uh, and cast aside everything about God's because they don't want to have any knowledge of the true and living God. So you faithful Christians out there can understand the situation we're in. So now let's take a look at some of these, these clips and everything from our previous materials that we produced uh, on some of these things uh, about evolution and, and things of that nature and how false it is, and the false science they use and the whole bit and go from there. The distant starlight, does that really prove that, uh, the, you know, that the, the, the universe must be billions of years old because the stars are so far away and it takes millions and billions of years for that light to travel to Earth. 
and that's how they can tell that we've been here for, you know, for eons. One of the big questions and one of the big objections about a young Earth, and I do believe in a young Earth and a young universe, which the scriptures, while they don't give an age for the Earth, do imply absolutely that the Earth and the universe are very young. One of the objections that many people raise is this. If we can see stars that are 14, 15 billion light years away, it would take 14 or 15 billion years for that light to reach Earth. And we believe that because we thought that the redshift uh, a pattern of, of light uh, or a light measurement that we measure when we look at different stars, they believe that the redshift was due to a Doppler effect. Well, in the February 1993 edition of Sky and Telescope magazine, which is a secular magazine, two scientists, very reputable scientists working with NASA, have demonstrated that the redshift is not due to a Doppler effect. I want to repeat that now because I know what all of us were taught in our textbooks. The redshift is not a Doppler effect. The reason why they say that is because when we look at some of these very distant stars, especially some of the quasars, they have a redshift equal to four, which would mean that those stars are moving away from us at four times the speed of light. And nobody believes that anything can move faster than the speed of light. Well, astronomy was in quite a difficult peril to explain what that redshift was. They jumped to special relativity, which would allow them to use equations that would explain redshift as uh, having a speed of less than the speed of light. However, special relativity only works for subatomic particles. So they jumped to general relativity and talked about curved space. And in Sky and Telescope's magazine article, they pointed out that while that uh, redshift could be due to a theory of general relativity, it does not mean that it took billions of years for that light to get from those most distant stars. In fact, as they talk about space expanding, with this general theory of relativity, it may only take thousands of years for light to get to those distant stars. And that's in a secular journal. If space is expanding along with general relativity, because space does not have mass or energy, it could move a thousand times faster than the speed of light. So that the theory of general relativity actually supports very strongly this concept of a young Earth and a young universe. And the distances that we believe that we're seeing do not require the light to take as much time to get from there to here simply because of curved space. There are other explanations. Riemannian space says that within less than 16 years, light could reach Earth from an infinite point, uh, or a point in an infinite distance away from Earth. Mm -hmm. And of course, the speed of light may have decreased, which is a big area of controversy. There's some theoretical data, there's some historical data to support that, but again, that's an area of great controversy. I want to stress, however, that the redshift of starlight now only seems to fit with the general relativity picture, which implies that the space of the universe is expanding, and that also fits with the scriptural statements several places in scripture that talks about God stretching out the heavens. So once again, science and the Bible meet, and the Bible is again confirmed to be true. Excellent. Well, with that, uh, briefly, doctor, a lot of people have this question. They wonder about how could animals get to Australia? There's Australia, this continent, or, you know, it's stuck out there in the water, and how do the kangaroos and all those guys get out there? So, uh... Well, of course, we have the question of how could uh, kangaroos and the different marsupials get to Australia, because we see some very unusual animals in Australia, animals with pouches, animals that don't have a placenta. What we're looking at there is one of several explanations. Um, of course, after the Great Flood, when the animals all came off of Noah's Ark in the Middle East, the, the kangaroos could have simply hopped to Australia. We believe that a lot of water was locked up in giant inland lakes and in the Ice Age, in those ice sheets that were coming down from the North Pole. 
so that the level of the ocean and the sea would have been much lower at that time, and there would have been a natural land bridge extending from Asia all the way to Australia. But another good way to find out how the animals got from Australia would be to ask the people who are native to Australia. It's interesting that the natives in Australia, the Aborigines, believe that they are one of three brothers who survived this giant flood on a raft and who came from far east. And the Aborigines state that the, the one brother that did migrate to Australia brought the kangaroo and the dingo and the wombat to Australia with him. So another good theory about how the kangaroos and the different uh, um, marsupials got to Australia is the simple explanation of the Aborigine, that men migrating to Australia after the flood, or more properly after the incident at the Tower of Babel, simply brought those animals with them. Now, which explanation is true? Did they hop there, or were they brought there? No one knows. But the Aborigine does have that legend that they were brought. Fascinating. All right, as we keep moving along here, uh, what, the, the gap theory. Why did God take six days? And did, did those days mean like a day age, like one day could mean a million years? Uh, is that what uh, we're referring to here? Comments. The gap theory is a theory that was proposed back in the 18th century to explain away the fossil record. Scientists kept finding multiple layers of rocks that contained fossils. And as they kept going further and further down in these layers of rock, they would find that the animals that were peculiar to certain layers would completely disappear. In other words, they became extinct as you went down or as you went up in the rock layers. And because there were so many different types of fossil species, some people estimate over 100,000, scientists began to think that there were simply too many animals to fit on the ark. And what they did is that they went to the theologian and said, wait a minute, the Bible story about the flood cannot be true because, not because of the data, but because our interpretation of the data doesn't fit with the Bible's record. As a result, the scientists told the theologians what God really meant, and the theologians went on with it. So that the theologians at that time bent the scriptures. They said, well, maybe there's a place in the scripture for two things, millions and millions of years to account for all of the fossil extinctions and a gap in which you had many things killed prior to Noah's flood. In fact, prior to the onset of man coming to earth. And the place where they put that initial terrible event that caused mass death of animals was between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. They said that the gap theory, as they proposed it, stated that uh, when God created everything originally, he created the angels, dinosaurs, and a whole bunch of other animals to be on earth with Lucifer. That when Lucifer rebelled, God sent a flood if you will, the Luciferian flood that destroyed the angels that were there along with all the things that were alive on earth at the time and that the fossil record represented that initial flood, that Luciferian flood, which the Bible never speaks of, and that those billions of dead things buried in those rock layers were a remnant of Lucifer's flood, that some of the upper layers were a remnant of Noah's flood. Now, there's many, many problems with that, but the initial intent was to put a gap in there of millions or hundreds of millions or however much time you needed. The problem with that theory is that it discounts, number one, the clear language of the Hebrew, because between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 is the Hebrew word wah, which is a direct conjunction that connects verse 1 with verse 2. So from a language standpoint, there was no need to put that. The other problem was that it contradicted the Bible in Romans chapter 5-12, where it says that by man sin entered into the world and that from sin came death. 
So from what I read in Romans 5.12, death came into the world as a result of man. And the word used for world there in the Greek in Romans 5.12 is the Greek word cosmos, which means the entire world, all living things. Romans 5.12 says that there was no death in the world until Adam sinned. In 1 Corinthians 15.21 and verse 22, it talks about how by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, that's a very interesting comment in the New Testament because it says there that man brings death into the world, man takes death out of the world. If the first part of those verses is false about man bringing death in, and in verse 22 identifying that man is Adam, then the second half of the verse must also be false, that man brought death out, the resurrection, and that's the entire gospel. So from a biblical standpoint, the gap theory doesn't make a whole lot of sense. With regards to the days of Genesis, some people have now tried to put that time into the area of the day, possibly explaining that the day is a long period of time or an indefinite period of time or a geological age or even billions of years. Let's discuss that. The Hebrew word that's used for day in Genesis chapter 1 is the Hebrew word yom. Yom can only have one of three meanings. It can, number one, mean an indefinite period of time, which it doesn't mean in Genesis 1 because we do have very definite periods of time. First day, second day, third day, etc. Those are very definite periods of time. The second possible definition for the Hebrew word yom is that yom means the daylight portion of a day. Again, that's not what it means in Genesis because we have evening and morning being the first day, evening and morning being the second day. So it's not just the daylight portion of the day, but also the evening portion of the day also. So it can't mean that. That only leaves us with one-third definition for the word yom, and that is an entire 24-hour period, a day from sunup to sunup or sunset to sunset. And that's exactly what it means in Genesis. There's some good evidence to support that. Whenever the word yom is used elsewhere in the Hebrew text with a number, and it's used 357 times outside of Genesis 1 with the number, every one of those 357 times, it means a literal 24-hour day. Why would it mean anything different in Genesis chapter 1? Also, when the Hebrew word yom is used outside of Genesis 1 with a limit, like evening and morning or a perimeter, all 58 out of 58 times that it's used outside of Genesis 1 with a perimeter, it always means a 24-hour day. If God was trying to say that he created everything in six literal 24-hour days, the word he would have used is yom, and he would have used it exactly the way he used it. That was the clearest way to make that statement. One other quick statement on that. In Exodus 20, verse 10 and 11, and in Exodus 31, verse 15 and 17, God tells the Jewish nation to work just like he worked. How did the Jews work? Six consecutive 24-hour periods and rested the seventh 24-hour period. So that we see that the Jews understood Genesis chapter 1 to mean that God worked on six consecutive 24-hour periods and rested the six, uh, seventh 24-hour period. God did not tell the Jews to work for six billion years and rest seven billion years, the seventh billion year. God told them to work for six 24 hours, rest that seventh 24-hour. So we see from Jewish tradition, from the language of the Hebrew Old Testament, from the statements in, in the New Testament, Romans 5.12, and in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.21 and 22, that the gap theory just doesn't hold true, and that the language supports a literal 24-hour day for Genesis. Okay, Rob, I just 
read that first premise here and the delusions that people believe so they don't have to deal with God. Okay, so here we got evolution, Darwin's theory, uh, the Big Bang, you know, all these things. Uh, and, of course, the Bible doesn't count in this situation. So what would be just some of your replies to people that want to believe these delusions? What would you say to them if you're on the street talking to them? Well, of course, that, that's a, a secular worldview based upon secular reasoning in a closed system. The, the science behind all of those assertions is not there. And uh, I think it's been proven again and again and again that uh, the evolutionary theory of the origin of man and the continued uh, sustaining of this universe has been even rejected by today's modern secular scientists. And um, God, in his infinite wisdom, has put eternity in the hearts of all people. So everybody has these kinds of questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? How did it all begin? And uh, for a Christian, we live in an open system where God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself into the world that he has created. And in doing so, uh, he has given us the origin of the world as well as the reason for the creation of mankind and everything in the cosmos that we know. And uh, he is the infinite creator. And one of the things that you'll find in all of these explanations for how we got here, why we are here, is a clear avoidance of morality. Yes, yes. God is not only the creator of the cosmos, the universe, the system that we know as our galaxy and maybe millions of other galaxies. We don't know how many there are out there. Uh, but he's also the, the creator of morality, the creator of the sense of what is right, what is wrong, his laws for the universe in the physical realm, but his laws for the universe in the moral realm. And it's those very laws of morality that most people want to avoid. Because if there is an infinite God who is going to hold man responsible for his morality that he's revealed in his word, they want no part of it. That That is something that should be feared and should be taken into consideration, but it's so much easier to avoid God by accepting these nebulous theories of creation and these ideas. Uh, seems like over the years, the uh, whole idea of the Big Bang Theory is losing its force with modern science. And more and more modern science, I think, is creeping towards the idea there might be an infinite creator. That's a serious thought for the secularists to think about right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's mainly the avoidance of personal morality and the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. And I'll be talking about that a little bit later in our video on what is a Christian worldview. But um, I think you have to get past all of that and understand that as a Christian, we are 
holding ourselves accountable to what we believe is the inscripturated, inspired word of the one and only infinite, eternal God in scriptures. And, and that, that is an open system. God has intervened and delivered to mankind how we should then live. And uh, those who live in a closed system, who don't believe in God, who are look, looking for s- some kind of explanation of creation, uh, have, have nothing to say about morality or right or wrong. There is no good. There is no evil. There can't be if there is no God. It's just as the book of Judges at the end says, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. But there can be no final word. It's all relativism. And I think that, especially in America now, we are all sinking in a sea of relativism, where there is no right, there is no wrong. And what's interesting to me is that there are no absolutes, according to this theory, this reasoning. But if you can sit down and talk with somebody long enough, you might ask the question, how is it that you are so sure that there are no absolutes? It sounds like you're saying the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. And that's Even that is self-recruiting, right, right. Yeah, self-recruiting. It's self-recruiting, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think it's an escape from reason, but more so an escape from morality as well. Uh, there have been so many books written by Christian scientists and uh, uh, the you're not talking about research the, society. You're not talking about the the, uh, the religious called by Mary Baker Eddy Christian Science. You're talking no, about not Christians. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking talking about, about real what, scientists who are um, Christians. Right. I'm talking about archaeology. Gotcha. Paleontology. I'm talking about true science that has uh, answered just about every single objection that the uh, so-called evolutionary scientists have put forth over the last hundred years and yeah, it's out you, there you're right and but you know men don't want to retain the knowledge of god it's almost everything you've been saying almost reminds me that you must be familiar with romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following all the way into the chapter as i read at the beginning of this of this video because uh, they're ex- looking for excuses they don't care how much evidence there is like you just saying the science proves that evolution can't be true uh, and as you said, they're already coming to those conclusions in the scientific field, but they simply want to, they, they don't want morality, as you say, and that's pointed out in Romans chapter 1. So you're right on target from what the, uh, what the Bible has to say. So uh, one thing I'd like to add to what you had, and you mentioned some of it, uh, and I read this earlier, uh, where did the matter of the universe originate? Can these people answer that? Uh, how did life begin? Can they answer that? The Big Bang? That's a, is that an answer? Uh, where are all the supposed transitional fossils between pre-Cambrian and Cambrian periods, which don't exist? Uh, from where did the dinosaurs come from? All these questions really mess them up. And that's another reason the science starts to destroy their theory as you get into that. Because they have no answers. They have theories. And stuff, but it's all to escape the knowledge of God, so they can have relative immorality. You might say. <laughs> Anything else on that point, brother? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, uh, I, I heard a story that a, a scientist, hypothetically, uh, 
wanted to have an argument with God. Scientists was convinced that he could create as well as God, given the elements that uh, God has, and challenged God to a creation contest. And the response of God to the scientists was, okay, go for it. And the scientists said, uh, all right, I'm going to start right here. And then God looked at him and said, but there's one caveat to all of this. You have to find your own dirt. There you go. There you have you to go. find your own dirt. That's it. So where does the dirt come from? <laughs> exactly. You exactly. As you, say, as you say, man did not create himself. That's right. And That's so right. he's either created or uncreated. And we say he's created. And man did not create this world. Somebody and something other than man created this world. And if you want to talk about a big bang, as you say, what banged? What elements <laughs> came together to bang? Who created those elements? That's right. Where did the, the matter come from? That's yes. one of the key so the, questions. So, the, so usually the answer to this sort of thing by the secularist is, well, then where did God come from? Right. If you're saying that everything had to have a beginning, now we didn't say everything had to have a beginning. We simply state that the God we believe in is infinite and he doesn't have a beginning. That's the whole point. There's right. no beginning because he is God. That's a partial definition of who God is. He right. is without beginning and without end. God's There's not a, part of his own creation. He's outside exactly. the created order because he created it. Right. So he didn't have to be created in the first place because right. you can't, you know, you got monism and all these other false yeah. religious ideas, but you just read what the word of God tells you. It goes exactly along the lines you were just explaining. So, yeah, the Bible states clearly that God is the only necessary being in the entire universe. Amen. Everything else is unnecessary. Yep. And that's part of the definition of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's where we it. start. That's yeah. it. All right, as you see on your screen, point two. Global warming will destroy the planet in a few decades unless the human population is reduced by billions of people before it is too late. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That's from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you! When Greta Thunberg drew national attention for her comments at the UN in the summer of 2019, some praised her performance as a stinging rebuke to the rich and powerful for failing to put the survival of the planet above their own needs. At just 16 years old, our next guest is already changing the world. Pick for the 2019. She became the biggest voice on the biggest issue facing the planet. Others saw the exploitation of a young woman with emotional problems for propagandistic ends. A mentally ill Swedish child who is being exploited by her parents and by the international Dare left. You. But there's no question that Thunberg's style of environmentalism, strident, urgent, and critical of global capitalism, has gained a strong foothold in contemporary politics. A 2019 paper from the journal Biosciences, co-signed by more than 11,000 scientists, 
asserted that planet Earth's population must be stabilized and ideally gradually reduced, and some politicians have questioned the morality of having children at all. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult, and it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should is it okay to still have children? Educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Well, Martha, the answer is yes. Fears of overpopulation and ecological disaster are also beginning to manifest on the far right, mixed in with an anti-immigrant animus. The logic was expressed in its most dramatic and twisted form in the 2019 manifestos of mass shooters in both New Zealand and Texas. If we can get rid of enough people, he wrote, then our way of life can become more sustainable. Whether contemporary proponents of these ideas know it or not, they're all intellectual heirs of the misguided 18th century thinker Robert Thomas Malthus, who believed that when human population increased, famine and environmental destruction would ensue. Malthus argued that population would always outstrip food supply because population would grow at exponential rates, whereas food supply could only grow at what he called arithmetic rates. Reason science correspondent Ron Bailey is the author of the 2015 book End of Doom. He didn't recognize that, in fact, crops and livestock are also populations, that they can also be exponentially increased at the same time as a human population was. And that's exactly what happened. Basically, the Malthusian prescription turns out to be completely wrong. In the contemporary world, Malthusianism was most famously expressed through the work of ecologist Paul Ehrlich, especially in his 1968 book, The Population Bomb. The only hope that there is is that we will be able, at least in the United States, through the political process, to get a government that's courageous enough to say, look, we're overpopulated and we have to have population control and start moving in that direction. He predicted that through the 1970s and 80s, hundreds of millions would starve to death. He compared humanity to a cancer, writing that we must shift our efforts from treatment of the symptoms to the cutting out of the cancer. Ehrlich, who still holds an endowed professorship at Stanford, didn't respond to our interview request. His proposed solutions included taxing diapers, subsidizing vasectomies, and even spiking food aid and water supplies with sterilizing drugs, and then holding a lottery for access to the antidote. Similarly, ecologist Garrett Hardin in 1968 compared humanity to overbreeding cattle, writing that the freedom to breed is intolerable. The only way to make this system work is to have the family be willing to give up one of its former freedoms, namely the freedom to determine how many children it was going to have. Ehrlich would turn out to be as wrong-headed as Malthus. Over the next half century, calories available per capita steadily increased in just about every region of the world, thanks largely to improved agricultural techniques and technology. Humans were not only consumers, we're also producers. We're able to create new things, to use resources in better and better ways over time. Human creativity can overcome the problems that Malthusians think that we're going to be suffering from overconsumption. We're using fewer and fewer resources to get more and more value over time. And yet world hunger is yet to be eradicated, with the UN reporting that about 10% of the global population is undernourished. And perhaps it's true that past trends don't predict the future. That's a lot of people. How are we going to feed them all? Karen Pitts, who was a member of the Sierra Club and ran a Northern California subcommittee on population growth, is concerned that the world won't be able to accommodate a population that's expected to peak at 11 billion by 2100. She became interested in the topic after a trip to China in 1996. As you flew over the country, 
Every space was taken up by houses and housing. They are overpopulated. Whether or not they produce enough food is a big question, and we really can't take the risk of being wrong. While it's true that farmers will have to become 70% more efficient over the next 30 years to feed the growing population, the technology already exists to accomplish that goal. If all farmers were as efficient as U.S. corn growers, the world could feed 10 billion people today on half as much land. And as humanity continues moving into cities, the environment will likely be better protected, Bailey points out, because this allows for the restoration of forests and other ecosystems on the land migrants leave behind. Something like 90% of people will be living in cities by the end of the century. If that is the case, there'll be less than 2 billion people living on the landscape which means that there'll be far more scope for forests to return, for biodiversity to flourish, and we'll be using a lot less resources over that time. But today's Malthusians are most concerned about the disruptive effects of climate change. Citing global warming, documentarian David Attenborough described humanity as a plague upon the earth. I can't think of a single problem that wouldn't be easier to solve if there were less people. And the Biosciences paper, signed by 11,000 scientists, projects total societal collapse if population isn't managed properly. We scientists have a moral obligation to clearly warn humanity of any catastrophic threat. It is more severe than anticipated, threatening natural ecosystems and the fate of humanity. There's a catastrophizing, apocalyptic undercurrent. Our paradigms necessarily uh, determine how we're going to interpret data. There are no such things as self-interpreting data. But this, anyway, is how the the majority of the climatological community looks at the history of temperatures. You see a period there called the Holocene Maximum. During that period, temperatures were much, much warmer than they are today, and it looks as if for the vast majority of ecosystems, that was the healthiest the world has been since the last ice age. You also see two small humps over toward the right end. The first one is called the Roman Warm Period, the second one the Medieval Warm Period. Again, both of those are warmer than recent temperatures. Both of those were healthier times for the ecosystem and healthier times for human civilization. And then toward the end you see what's called the Little Ice Age that lasted from roughly 1350 to 1850, when temperatures were much colder. The Thames River in London froze over every year. You could walk across the Hudson from New York on ice every winter. Uh, Greenland uh, refroze at its outer edges. It never, never melted toward the inside at all. But, you know, the, the, uh, the Vikings had colonized Greenland during the medieval warm period. The colonies died out during the Little Ice Age because the glaciers came down close to the edge of the, the uh, island again. It's been warmer before now. Total warming since 1850, roughly the end of the Little Ice Age, is about 0.6 to 0.8 degrees centigrade. And it hasn't yet brought us back to the warmth of the medieval warm period. Here are two different reconstructions of temperature over the last 2,000 years. And you can see in neither case uh, do, do we reach the temperatures of the, N, uh, the MWP. Recent warming gave way to cooling, and it's no cause for alarm. After the cooling of the last five to seven years, global average temperature in June of 2009 had returned to its 1980 level. August's average was about 23 hundredths of a degree centigrade above the the mean, 
But monthly anomalies can rise and fall considerably, making a century-long gain of about seven-tenths of a degree centigrade unalarming and well within natural bounds. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but uh, certainly if you... By the way, if you would like to get a copy of this PowerPoint, email me, ebeisner, that's E-B-E-I-S-N-E-R, at AOL.com, and just ask for the PowerPoint presentation. I'll send it to you as an attachment, and then you can study it in more detail. The question is, how would you attempt to get rid of billions of people off the face of the earth? What are the remedies to population reduction being employed? Okay, remedies to getting rid of people are stated here in the following. Abortions. Even killing babies up to 28 days after they are born, such as laws being proposed by the Democrat Party in California. Killing babies 28 days, up to 28 days after they're already alive and born and they're living. The Democrats at this time of this video is being produced want to kill those babies, living babies. Of course, we know abortion is already killing the live baby in the womb, but now, logically, I guess the way they think, well, if we can kill them while they're alive in the womb, why can't we kill them after they're already born? We don't want them anyway. We want to get rid of them. we got to, we, we got to save the planet. we got to get rid of billions of people so global warming won't wipe out the whole planet. So we're killing all these people babies so we can save the planet. So that's one argument they use. Okay. Next next one on the list here is birth control pills or birth control devices to be used. And of course we already know that's already going on big time all around the world. Birth control pills, devices they use for birth control. Anything to stop having babies. Okay. Another one mass drug and medical sterilizations in epic proportions around the world under false or true pretenses. Okay, so we already know that people have been sterilized. The Nazis were doing it in Germany uh, back in the 1930s, sterilizing all the undesirable people that they didn't like, uh, Jews, gypsies, uh, whoever they didn't think were was worth creating more babies, they tried to get rid of them. They were trying to create their master race when they were doing all these sterilizations. Now, they picked up their ideas from Margaret's, Margaret Sanger uh, here in, from the United States who uh, was trying with Planned Parenthood to get rid of babies even at that time, you know, to reduce the population. But it's more for racial purposes back then, just like with the Nazis. The Nazis, we'll get into that more as we go through this video. But so they're going to use mass sterilizations and other ways to get rid of people either under true pretenses or false pretenses. So maybe what might happen is they may declare some kind of national emergency and everybody needs to get this, this you know, some kind of... Uh, uh, drug, either by pills or by injections or whatever, and they need to do it on a mass scale where if they scare people enough, 
Now, everybody will think, oh, we're all going to die if we don't take this medication. So that's another way that they could possibly start uh, reducing the global population. Uh, so you always have to be careful about uh, things of that nature. All right, with next on the list. Okay, of course, there's always wars going on. Even Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, he said there would be wars and rumors of wars and so forth. Uh, so wars will take place. And, of course, it's possible that uh, someone could start a war that would be nuclear. No telling how many millions or billions of people could be killed in such a catastrophic event. Uh you know, we already see wars going on between, uh, at the time of this, this video, Russia was invading Ukraine, and nobody shot a nuclear missile off yet, but uh, you never know how that's going to end or something else can pop up. Uh, terrorists could blow up a nuclear weapon in, in a city or something like that. I mean, it's, there's danger all around us. So there's a lot of ways to get rid of a lot of people real fast. Okay. Looking on the list, uh, government laws reducing the number of children a family may have, such as China was doing for a long time. They said that families could only have one child. But now they've changed that law because they're starting to realize they're not going to have enough people to replace who they're losing by this population. Now they say you can have two. But uh, So laws like this can reduce the Earth's population. Although China's kind of reneging off what they've been doing for a long time by restricting everybody to just one kid instead of two, or even more. So, Extermination camps, such as used by Nazi Germany during World War II against the Jews and other groups. And of course, if you know your World War II history and the history of Nazi Germany, well, they had death camps all over the place. And they were killing just hundreds of thousands of millions of Jews, uh, almost on an industrial level, on purpose. And who knows what's going on in some of these countries even today as far as exterminating people in camps. We know there's been uh, a lot of people killed in some of these, uh, these uh, gulags and other places like that around the world uh, where just millions of people have been destroyed and killed by this methodology. All right, mass starvation, such as used by Joseph Stalin, head of the Soviet Union. He used that to kill off uh, millions of farmers, particularly in the 1930s, who wouldn't go along with his uh, collectivization program for farming. He didn't want to have any independent farmers out there because he has a communist state and they want total control. So he starved to death millions of Russians who weren't following his plan for farming. He would send his, ghoul, his thugs in there and take away all their stuff and just let them starve to death, take away their farm animals, their crops, no seeds to plant. And millions of Russians died because of him. Uh, take Mao Zedong in Red China. When Mao Zedong was going along, he, he made sure uh, millions of people died from famine because of his, his collectivization programs that he also implemented. So both of them, I think uh, when you look at the all-time killers, Hitler's not even number one. 
The number one killer, I think, was Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong was the number one killer in the world, followed by uh, uh, Joseph Stalin. And then Hitler was like number three or number four. I think he was number three, though. But uh, you look at all the millions of people that died just from their programs and the wars they created, uh, where, I mean, there's just death everywhere from these guys. It's interesting, it was all socialism, too, from these guys. The Nazis were socialists, and so were uh, Stalin and Mao Zedong with their communist socialism. Looking at the list, another way you can get rid of a lot of people is changing people's sex preferences to homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, bestiality, etc. By government propaganda and coercion, which eliminates more babies coming into the world. So when, let's face it, scientifically speaking, when you have uh, uh, two same-sex people, they can't create life. They, they don't have no way to create life. Uh, so no babies happen that way. Now, when you have transgender people that are getting sex change operations, well... Once a woman does that, or a man does those things, that means that they can't reproduce. So you can reduce a lot of babies being born into the world because people are changing their bodies through operations, medical operations. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to talk about this, but uh, a video was posted um, two days ago of a... A guy who pretends to be a female, and he is recording himself fantasizing about getting a uh, uterine, not a uterine implant, that, that actually makes sense in the real world. He could find a doctor that would implant a functional uterus into him. And of course, that hasn't been done. The sad thing is, I'm sure that uh, your tax dollars and your insurance dollars and all sorts of other things are being used to try to figure out how to do that. Because science, medical science, um, without Christian bounds, without Christian boundaries, um, will weary itself trying to find, trying to push all the boundaries. Um, I watched the original Jurassic Park recently. That was fun. That was so well done. But watching the computer tech and stuff like that was sort of funny. Reminded me of, you know, the 1990s. But anyway, um, remember one of the characters was like, uh, in our rush to... To do what we could do, we didn't stop to think about whether we should do it. And um, that's part of what the Christian worldview provides to a society, um, are the boundaries and clear guidelines and goals that are life-affirming um, in the light of the fact that God is our creator. So anyways... I'm sure someone's trying to do what this guy is fantasizing about. 
it would be obviously extremely dangerous, extremely expensive, um, dangerous to any child that would be conceived if that could even happen. I really doubt that that'll ever work, but be that as it may. But this individual goes on to say that he would then seek to have as much, I can't get really descriptive, um, intercourse as possible so as to become pregnant so that he could then have an abortion. That, that's his ultimate desire as a trans woman is to have an abortion. I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite that depraved, perverse, disgusting, demonic, vile. Uh, I didn't open a thesaurus up to find the rest of the terms we could use, but there are plenty of other uh, adjectives that, that we could we could throw in there. It is the culture of death in its fullness. And you really do have to start thinking at some point, what does it mean to be given over? At, at what point do you go, this is, this is what it means to be completely given over. This is what it means when God says, I am going to allow you to utterly destroy yourself and everything around you. And to do so justly, because this is your desire. This is what you want. Um, this is your free will. You love your sin, and I'm going to remove my hand of restraint and give you over to your sin. And Scripture shows us this happening to people, and many Christians struggle because we have false ideas about that, that denigrate God's justice and his ultimate purposes and our creatureliness and that project onto God our creaturely categories and all sorts of things like that. But I just I just think of only 20 years ago. And for some young folks, 20 years sounds like a long time. It is not. It is a blink of the eye, even, even in human history, let alone eternity. 20 years ago, if someone had tried to say this was coming, that we would be seeing something like this. The vast majority of us just would be like, that's just not possible. It is utterly impossible that someone could be that perverse. Could even None of us had even thought of perversity on that level. And yet now it's right there in front of us. And our society tells us that's, that's good. We're supposed to consider that to be a moral good. Let's all sacrifice so this guy can do that. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we are. It is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and so that reduces the population. So the more people like that you can get going out there, the less people you have. So that's another way to reduce, reduce the earth's population. So all these things, according to Romans chapter 1, are, are crimes against the holy and righteous God. But this is the delusions people are going under uh, because they're worried about global warming. Now, I'm not saying 
Mao Zedong or, or Stalin. They weren't worried about that at the time. This is something new that uh, has come along now where these new people that are controlling the world are really pushing global war and the politicians and everything like that. Oh, we got to... We got to stop doing this and that, and we got to put fart bags on all the cows because they're they're causing too much CO two emission, and, and the, the atmosphere is going to be wiped out. The ozone layer, ah, oh, we're all going to die. So we got to do all this stuff. So, and they and people believe all this, and they don't think there's a holy and righteous God that controls the ozone layer, the atmosphere, the universe, and they think. Oh, we got to do it ourselves. So we got to reduce Earth's population. We got to, you know, put fart bags on cows, and we got to change all of you know our fossil fuels to uh, electric cars and uh, 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 solar panels and all this other stuff they want to do. Uh, anyway, I've got information on that as well. So uh, check out the clips here about this stuff coming up, and we'll go on to point number three. Electric cars are having a moment. Electric car sales are up 66%. You going to want to jump in the back? And now my president says the future is electric and there's no turning back. To make sure of that, some states are banning gas-powered cars. Gasoline cars are driving us toward climate chaos. We actually have to stop using fossil fuel vehicles. California's governor made that an executive order. We will eliminate the sales of internal combustion engines. Governments everywhere say they plan to do that. The government has a vision for a future where all our cars will be electric. But this is just magical thinking. It can't happen. In this video and the next, we point out five inconvenient facts about electric cars that politicians and green activists Take your oil, go just don't understand. Electric cars are amazing. Physicists like Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute do understand. He says the trend to electric is a good thing. But it won't change the future in any significant way with respect to oil use or carbon dioxide emissions. That's inconvenient fact one. More electric cars will hardly dent oil use. If all of us bought electric cars, would it make any difference? So the world has 15, 18 million electric vehicles now. It could go to 300 million. Maybe 500 million vehicles. I don't think it'll get that many, but that's the aspiration. That would reduce world oil consumption by about 10%. That's not nothing, but it doesn't end the use of oil for the world. Because most of it's used for what? Flying airplanes, driving buses, big trucks, the mining equipment to get the copper to build the electric cars is all oil-fired. And it won't change because those trucks last 40 years. And even if all vehicles somehow switch to electricity, there'd be another problem because despite what we've heard... Further, faster, cheaper and greener. Electric cars are not all that green. One reason is because electricity isn't all that green. I'm amazed talking to people who are all excited about their electric car and they say, and I'm not polluting. <laughs> and I say, where do you get the electricity from? And they don't know. They don't know that most of America's electricity comes from fossil fuels, natural gas and coal. Just 12% comes from wind and solar. Yet auto companies tell us electric vehicles in general are better and more sustainable for the environment. 
She's a Ford engineer. She's not ignorant. Well, actually, she probably is ignorant in the literal sense of the word. She's not stupid, but ignorance speaks to what you know. You have to mine somewhere on Earth 500,000 pounds of minerals and rock to make one battery. And most of this mining isn't done in the U.S. American regulations make it nearly impossible. So it's done other places, polluting those countries. And worse, ingredients in batteries are mined in places that enslave people and use child labor. An army of children are at the heart of the mining production, wearing no shoes and in the most wretched conditions. Most Americans proudly driving electric cars don't know about this. They just don't want mining done near them. But wherever it's done, mining is a dirty business that adds lots of carbon to the air. If you're worried about carbon dioxide, the electric vehicle is emitted 10 to 20 tons of carbon dioxide before it even gets to your driveway, before you drive the first mile and plug it in the first time. Carbon dioxide produced by the mining and the manufacturing and the shipping. Exactly. Volkswagen published an honest study. They point out that the first 60,000 miles or so you're driving an electric vehicle, that electric vehicle will have emitted more carbon dioxide than if you just drove a conventional vehicle in the first place. You have to own it for a while before the electric part starts to win. You have to own it for at least 100,000 miles, and then the electric part wins by some. So it doesn't get you a zero emissions vehicle. It's reduced the emissions then by 20 or 30 percent, which is not nothing, but it's not zero. No, it's not close to zero. In our next video, more inconvenient facts about electric cars. Politicians make impossible assumptions about batteries and the electric grid. You think every car should be electric? Well, here are some inconvenient facts you probably don't know. This is part two of our series on electric cars. We keep hearing. The future of the auto industry is electric, electric, and battery technology. Battery technology. That's key because we need to store the electric power. But storing large amounts of energy in batteries has a problem. Batteries are really lousy at storing energy. They leak energy constantly. They leak and they don't hold a lot. Physicist Mark Mills says electric cars are great, but... Oil begins with a huge advantage over the chemicals that are in a battery. Oil has about 5,000% more energy in it per pound. And we see this in electric cars. Electric cars' battery weighs 1,000 pounds. It's what the battery weighs. It's replacing about 80 pounds of gasoline. All right, you're talking today, but the batteries are going to get smaller and better. They've gotten way more powerful, long-lasting, and affordable. All of this is just a prologue to what the next batteries are going to do. I can't wait. Will they be something like the one Iron Man has? Yeah, I can fly. Iron Man with the, uh, the power pack that he puts in his chest or the Terminator. Could happen. Things improve. Engineers are really good at making things better, but they can't make them better than the laws of physics permit. That will never happen in any place except comic books. That's inconvenient fact four. Miracle batteries, powerful enough to replace fossil fuels, are a fantasy. Because nature is not nice to humans, we store energy for when it's going to be really cold or really hot. The people who imagine an energy transition would want to build windmills and solar panels and store all that energy in batteries. But you do the arithmetic and you find out you need to build about $100 trillion worth of batteries to store the same amount of energy that Europe has in storage now for this winter. 
And it would take the world's battery factories about 400 years to manufacture that many batteries. 400 years? Politicians don't mention that. That leads to another problem the politicians don't mention. They say every car will be electric. California will require all new cars sold to be zero emission vehicles. If that were somehow to happen. That means a lot more electric vehicles drawing power from the grid. But the grid is already limited. So limited that last summer, California's governor told people, don't use your electric car. Asking residents to avoid charging their EVs in order to conserve energy. Roughly speaking, you have to uh, double your electric grid to move the energy out of gasoline into the electric sector. No one is planning to double the electric grid in California, so there'll be rationing. Rationing. When there isn't enough electricity, cities will simply turn some of the power off. That's inconvenient fact five. We just don't have enough electricity for all electric cars. And we'll have even less of it if we try to get all our electricity from renewable energy like wind and solar. Our president says... We're going to achieve a carbon pollution-free electric sector by the year 2035. And all of the media believe it. It's amazing that all these smart people and supposed leaders say these things. It's upsetting. It really has been an extraordinary accomplishment of propaganda, and there's no other word for it. Wind and solar, renewable versus oil and gas, it's, it's almost infantile. It's really, it, it's distressing because it's so silly. Because even if engineers invent much better wind turbines and solar panels and power lines and batteries. You're still drilling things. You're still digging up stuff. You're still building machines that wear out. We're still driving big trucks, whether you drill a gas well or build a wind turbine. It's, it's all the same, really. It's just big machines to make lots of energy for humanity. It's not magical transformation. In many respects, the parts that aren't different are worse, unfortunately. The politicians are making us pay more to do things that hurt the environment. You're up going back to coal. Burning coal in homes and open stoves because they're so afraid they're going to freeze this winter. People fearful of winter shortages wait for days and nights to stock up on heating fuel. Lines going for miles in Poland. These are people picking up coal to take home to be sure they won't freeze this winter. This is crazy. So what we've done now is had our energy systems designed by bureaucrats instead of by engineers. And what we're getting is worse energy, more expensive energy, and higher environmental impacts. That's what we're doing. As for electric cars, I like them. Maybe I'll buy one. But I won't pretend it'll make me some kind of environmental hero. There'll be lots more electric cars in the future, and there should be, because that'll reduce demand for oil, which is a good thing. But when you do the math, the arithmetic on the scales of demand to operate a society with billions of people, with five or six billion people who are live in poverty we can't imagine, when you want to give them a little bit of what we have, the energy demands are off the charts big. We're going to need everything. Everything includes fossil fuels. We hope you like this two-part series. If you want to help us make more videos like that, click that button. Hello there. Oh dear. More costs for electric vehicle owners.
This net zero lark is not as cheap as they'd have you believe. Oh, and there's more news on Sadiq Khan and his ULEZ expansion scheme as well. Not only will electric vehicle drivers face paying more tax and be charged by the mile to drive with cameras snooping inside their cars to check how many passengers they've got, their insurance costs will also go up. Yes, it turns out that EVs, or more accurately, battery electric vehicles, or BEVs, cost more to recover and repair and are more likely to be written off completely than the traditional internal combustion engine or ice-driven cars. A government-funded investigation by Thatcham Research shows that BEV claims are already 25.5% more expensive than their ICE equivalents and take 14% longer to repair. And this is before EVs become the overwhelming majority of cars on the road. And one suspects the government will try some legislative sleight of hand to shift some or all of that extra cost onto the drivers of petrol and diesel cars in order to keep the electric vehicle proposition attractive to buyers. Until it's too late, of course, when there are no longer any ICE cars left to insure and the extra cost slams into BEV owners. Anyway, the Department for Transport published a document in January last year called Recovery Operators Working with Electric Vehicles. And in that document, it lays down how cars with electric powertrains called XEVs should be treated after an accident. XEVs covering hybrids and battery-only driven vehicles. And it's quite a lot more onerous than dealing with a petrol or diesel car, because the slightest damage to the battery or battery compartment can lead to a catastrophic fire destroying the vehicle, everything in it and everything within a few feet of it, causing the fire to spread rapidly. And there's lots of examples of this on social media. And one takeaway from these instructions is that if the vehicle is damaged, do not touch it with bare hands. Think about someone, possibly a child, trapped in that car, and you on the outside being unable to even to try to open the door without potentially electrocuting yourself in the process because you haven't got high-voltage gloves on hand. And how about this? It is not recommended to tow XEVs on their wheels because this can cause electrical power to be generated, which can cause damage to the high-voltage systems. And it goes on to say that many manufacturers are saying only flatbed trucks should be used for recovery. So no more tow trucks, it seems. But you can tow or push an electric vehicle a minimum distance at no more than walking pace as long as the brake is disengaged and the vehicle is in neutral. But importantly, only if the vehicle has not been involved in a road traffic collision and is not visibly damaged. So even a slight bit of damage might mean the vehicle is left blocking the road for some considerable time. And if the car is damaged, recovery should only be conducted when the emergency services are in attendance. 
and then it goes into the chemical and battery thermal runaway scenarios where the advice is for us to, uh, well, run away. But when all that's dealt with and the recovery has taken place and the road is once again clear, any damaged EV ends up in a recovery compound where it has to be stored at least 15 metres away from other vehicles until it's been inspected for safety or the battery has been removed. And that takes up oodles of extra space, unless the compound has separate fire-resistant cubicles for each vehicle, an equally expensive option. On top of that, Monitor XEVs which pose a fire risk for up to 48 hours after an incident. If the HV battery temperature does not drop to ambient temperatures, then leave the vehicle in a safe quarantine location. All of the above adds to the insurance costs, as well as making it sound like we would be driving around with sticks of gelignite stuck to the chassis. And as I said... So far, the costs have been about 25% higher and the repairs take 14% longer. And the smallest amount of damage to the battery or the battery compartment can lead to the whole thing being written off completely. And can you imagine the impact of a major tail-end pile-up on a motorway? How many days would that take to clear? I also don't think it will be long before no EV will be able to be sold second-hand unless it's had a government-approved inspection paid for by the purchaser prior to sale. A test to check both battery safety and performance. Because the layman's once-over from a purchaser and a quick test drive might not show that the car has a potentially fatal flaw. Maybe that's a law that should be brought in sooner rather than later before someone does buy a second-hand death trap. I mean, would you buy a used EV that someone had possibly curbed the week before and scraped the battery compartment? Remember that to keep the centre of gravity as low as possible, the battery compartment of an EV is as near to the road as the designer can safely get it. And this is just the start of the electric vehicle dream. And now to Sadiq Khan, the Labour Party London Mayor, and his money-grabbing ultra-low emission zone expansion scheme. Soon, as we know, to be morphed into a pay-per-mile scam. Because Khan has a couple of new critics in town, critics who say it's right to raise concerns about this ULES expansion. And one of these critics is none other than Khan's Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer. Not only that, Danny Beals, the Labour Party's own candidate in the Uxbridge and Ryslip by-election, forced by the shock resignation of Boris Johnson, has also raised concerns about the ULES expansion. In response to questioning over this, Starmer said, Danny Beals is our candidate in Uxbridge, a very good candidate too and he is rightly raising concern on behalf of what he hopes will be his constituents in relation to ULES, because we all understand the impact it has financially. I translate that to mean Labour has been taking a battering on the doorsteps in London over Khan's plans. So the party's leadership needs to say something to placate their worries to get votes, when what they should be doing is being honest, 
and telling people they're pushing on with the ULEZ expansion regardless, because that's exactly what they will do once the election is over, be in no doubt. And Starmer quickly climbed back on his fence by refusing to say whether he backs Khan or Beals on this matter. But be in no doubt, if elected, once the dust has settled, for Labour it will be back to the drive for net zero and fully backing the ULEZ expansion. This is just the usual hypocritical, mealy-mouthed politicking by Labour. This year Starmer is backing Beals for Uxbridge and next year he'll be backing Khan for London after the ULEZ expansion has come into force. Unless the current challenge by five local Tory councils bears some fruit. Okay, so now point two. Uh, global warming will destroy the planet in a few decades unless the human population is reduced by billions of people before it is too late. The question is, how would you attempt to get rid of billions of people in order to save the planet? Okay, what are these remedies to population re reduction? Uh, basically, my paperwork here says remedies to population reduction being employed. So there are remedies that these people that believe in global warming uh, are applying even now as we speak. Uh, of course, abortions. Even killing babies up to 28 days after they are born, such as the laws being currently proposed in California by the Democrat Party, uh, that you can kill a baby up to 28 days after it's born. They're not even worried about the third trimester or any of that stuff. Now they want to just kill a baby straight up after it's born, up to 28 days. Uh, how would you react to that, for instance, uh, on that subject, as a population control to save the planet from uh, global warming? Well, I think I would agree with them initially that this world will suffer a global warming like they've <laughs> never thought of before, because that's exactly what the Bible says, that the end of this current earth... I knew where you were going. Yep, that's will be consumed right. by fire. That's so right. You, that's right. So there, but the, the, the problem is, is that Everything that is said about the cosmos that we live in, our our world, is random and based upon inferior science that doesn't prove the point. Mm -hmm. Now, the scripture says that this world will be destroyed by fire. Okay, we don't know when, but we do know who will destroy it. God, in his word, has declared clearly that there'll come a day of reckoning when this world will be destroyed, will be no more. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth, okay? That's right. That's so we would agree that it's going to get awfully warm one day out of it. But what <laughs> we will disagree is that the problem is man-made. The assumption when you say the problem is man-made is that there is no God, that God does not control the weather, that God does not control the clouds, the skies, the, the atmosphere, the thunderstorms, that God has nothing to do with it. And all you have to do is pick up a couple of pieces of information, particularly in the book of Psalms and the New Testament, to know that the heavens declare the glory of God and God is in control of the heavens. He's in control of the weather. Mm -hmm. So man in his stupidity would actually blame man for global warming. And then what's the remedy? Kill man 
so that there are fewer of us, and that's going to solve the problem. Yeah, but they profess themselves to be wise, and you're saying they're fools? Yes. (laughs) Obviously, who's going to make those kinds of choices? Who's Mm going to choose who gets to live and who gets to die? You mentioned the terrible, terrible tragedy in the United States of America. And that is the tragedy that uh, is the legalization of abortion at any level. Mm-hmm. Now, even though Roe v. Wade has been turned back to the states, each state, and you've heard the testimony of several governors of states who say there's no way that we're going to limit the right of a woman to kill her baby. I'm going to say kill her baby rather than reproductive rights, because they don't want to say kill the baby. That's just too harsh. But that's the reality. Right. That fetus in the womb is alive, and it's a little tiny, tiny, tiny baby. And you see uh, uh, American teenagers holding each other and crying and weeping and sobbing and moaning as though the world was coming to an end. And and what are they sobbing and moaning and crying about? That somebody might take away their right to kill their own baby. Mm-hmm. How far have we gone into the mm-hmm. cesspool of morality when you put it in the proper terms? Right. Right. And all the governors of these states who are coming out and saying, over my dead body, will you ever take away this state's right to afford a woman the right to kill her baby? You have... Mm-hmm. States attorney general saying, if our states pass a law that says there's a limitation to abortion, we will not enforce that law. Mm-hmm. We're headed for some kind of chaos. We're headed mm-hmm. for some kind of, of catastrophic disruption in this nation when the highest officials in the particular states are on record as saying they will not follow the law that they're sworn to obey and enforce. So if you're a 19-year-old kid living in sweltering heat, having no education, very little food, very little opportunity to advance in life, and you catch a snippet of this guy on TV who says, I'm the attorney general of the state of you name it, and I'm not going to obey that law. What kind of incentive does this kid have of obeying the law? Right, right. If the highest authorities don't, why should I? And that's where I think it's coming to when it, we get into the helter-skelter future society of this nation. It's a terrible thing. But it starts with the absolute denial that in the womb of a woman is another life. Mm-hmm. You call it what you want to, but that's a live baby. And to say that it's reproductive rights to kill your own baby is the height of immorality. And, of course, it's a denial of God who sets the standard of morality. And that's just but one example in our nation. Well, that's a typical communist ploy that they've used since Lenin, I guess, going back to when he took over Russia in 1917 to change all the terminology to make it sound not as bad as it really is. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're saying they don't want to say kill the baby. That's too harsh. Uh, and they redefine terminology all the time. 
reproductive rights, right? You know, uh, things of that nature. And on a wide range of things, they just redefine terminology, change the wording, also change meanings of words. Uh, right. And that's just part of what the what these people that believe in this no God religion of theirs, uh, what they what, what they promote in these days. Now, some other things about ways to get reduce the population. Uh, we already know about birth control pills or birth control devices. Uh, you could use mass drug and medical sterilizations. Sterilizations have been around for a long time. Uh, you can use uh, drug use drugs to sterilize people. And if you want to get rid of billions of people, though, you'd have to do it on an epic scale, somehow under either uh, real pretenses or false pretenses, claim that all you people need to take this this drug, and in, and in fact, it would actually hurt people instead of help people if it's under false pretenses, and that could get rid of a lot of people for you right there, you know, if you're trying to do that. Uh, you know, as a government entity or something like that. Uh, then you also have uh, wars. Uh, wars would be a useful way to get rid of a lot of people because let's say you have a, a couple of countries fighting, but it could end up in a nuclear war these days. Nuclear war could probably get rid of a lot of people. Uh, so maybe promoting wars would would be a way to reduce the population. And then, of course, uh, you have uh, other, other effects of... Uh, government propaganda that would uh, say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you know, like in Red China for decades, I think it was, said a family can only have one child. One child only in China, right. Right. And then they changed that recently because they're starting to realize they're running out of replacement people. And, you know, I think someone said Japan is, uh, their their population is getting extremely old because they're not having enough kids. And there's a lot of countries like that. That we're in it too. Listening. I think. I think the United States are, is in it as well. I don't think there are enough workers in the nation anymore. I think, especially in the trades. I was listening to a rather informed labor leader make comment on this yesterday, where he said people don't realize that the biggest problem we have in America is in the trades. We don't have enough plumbers, welders, mm. electricians, mm. carpenters. We don't right. have enough machine right. workers. And he said, that's what, that's why we're unproductive. He says, everybody who used to do those kinds of things has aged out. Yeah. And then he made a stunning statement, which I took on board. He said, part of the reason is because back in the 1940s and late 30s, the United States began pushing a four-year college education as the end all for the success of the human being in our nation. Okay, so you have four years of college and that's supposed to solve everything because you're going to get a job that doesn't require you to know much. I hate to say it. (laughs) It doesn't require you to know much about anything. I mean, you can get a major in... Uh, sociology and walk the streets thinking, what does that mean? It means <laughs> nothing. So, so this push to have a college education is one thing, but what it's left us with is a nation of people who have college degrees who don't want to work and they're not going to work in the trades. They don't want to get their hands dirty. And he made a startling station. He said, I predict in 10 years, 
that it'll cost you more to hire a plumber than an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. And he yeah. might be right. Well, so I other want, countries are feeling the same pinch, I think. Well, I once he, had a I once had a plumber come over to the house because I, I was too stupid to know how to clear the garbage disposal. All it was is a, a, a spoon or something stuck down in there. And I, I couldn't figure out how to fix it, right? So I call this plumber. He comes over, and in about 10 seconds, he fixes it. And <laughs> oh, so you just press this. I asked him, how do you do that? He said, oh, I just press this little button down here, and then the spoon came right out. Right. Then he, then he's, I said, well, how much do I owe you? He said, $150. <laughs> I go, $150? It only took you 10 seconds to take that spoon out of there, you know? Sorry, that's my trip charge, $150. Anyway, I Thank learned you. something from that. I learned something from that. Never Thank to call you. that plumber again, and I learned how to do a lot of stuff myself. I do have a college degree. Yeah. In fact, uh, I never used my college degree for anything, just like you said, and I know a lot of other you know, college degree people are the same way. Uh, right. But I, I, I got a good-paying trade job, you might say, uh, and, and it, stuff like it, that. It, it, uh, build back better doesn't make any sense if there's nobody to build back better. Right, right, right. You can so, you can throw all the money you want into the program, but if you don't have the laborers, if you don't have the workers, if you don't have the craftsmen, if you don't have the steel workers, if you don't right. have the construction workers, if you don't have the the, the basic rudiments of construction and repair in our society you're not going anywhere and maybe japan is feeling that pinch maybe other countries in europe are feeling that but this particular spokesperson said it is real in the united states how many kids when they graduate from high school are pushed into a large university and they choose the uh, the avenue of least resistance insofar as their studies is concerned i'm not saying all of them are this way, but it's a genuine problem that I think is going to get worse here. Mm -hmm. Misplaced priorities. Right. But um, getting back to population control, if it if it means the destruction of human life, then it is not of God. It is not of his word. And that's our whole point, right? Well, ex exactly. In fact, another thing that secular governments are pushing is uh, things like... Uh, where is it here on the list? Uh, they want to change people's uh, perceptions about sex. They think uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, bestiality, etc., by government propaganda and coercion uh, will help in the matter of reducing the Earth's population. Uh, so if you have more of these people getting sex change operations, that's going to impair their reproductive uh, capacity and things of that nature. So you can reduce a lot of the population that way as well. So the, the, globe, the globe doesn't get annihilated by global warming, except for the one you're talking about from the Bible down the line. But anyway, well, go ahead. You can, you, can, you can think of a hundred ways to thin the herd. We've seen it all. We've seen the mass extermination of the uh, Jewish nation in uh, World War II. Yeah. We've seen the killing fields of Pol Pot. We've seen the destruction of Stalin uh, yes. when he came into power after World War II. We've seen what uh, Mao Zedong did in China. 
we it's we've seen the North African crisis of uh, murder and this idea of destruction of a, of uh, an entire group of people. We have this throughout our history, not in this nation, other than abortion. Uh, but uh, the rest of the world certainly is familiar with these terms, and it, it's when you when you turn your back on God's ways, your ways are never going to work. They'll never work ever, right. because God is committed to His universe and the sustaining of His universe. And you go outside of the lines, and you go outside and start doing this sort of thing. You're face to face with an infinite God who says no, and you'll never win it. You'll never win it. So all of these solutions involve destruction, murder, hatred, chaos, uh, infinite variety of um, bad results and uh, collateral damage that nobody can possibly take into account. Well, it, it reminds me of uh, the fact that a lot of people... Uh, including one of my favorite uh, Bible instructors, uh, Dr. James White. He's always referring to these kind of people, these governments and secular outfits that promote this kind of stuff for uh, population uh, reduction as the culture of death, the culture of death, and because that's what they want. They want to reduce the population. And at the same time, I remember there was a Bible verse. uh can't remember exactly where it is at the moment, but... God says, those who hate me love death. And it goes back to what she said right there. A third topic that people are deluded by, and here it is on your screen, human socialist governments are gods to the people according to the religion of secularism and would never lie to the people Thus, their job is to make the people think they are only doing what is in their best interest. That's a delusion that a lot of people buy into. They buy into big brother government, big brother regimes that are uh, very secular. Uh, they're tyrannical. They create laws and hurt uh, human freedom through uh, capitalism uh, free enterprise. They want to control everything going on with the economy and they want to redistribute the wealth from people that work and give it to people that don't work. And why is that? Because they'll vote for them if they give them a lot of free money that they steal from somebody else. So it's like government theft, secularism. You got to get rid of morality. You got to push immorality, wickedness. So people don't have any faith in God. They don't believe in God. You don't want to, anyone to believe in God because then the government can't be God. Uh, so that's what's going on with this delusion. And when you think about it, the way these kind of governments go, uh, it reminds me of Nazi Germany or, or Lenin and Stalin and the Soviet Union. In fact, this quote I'm about to give you that's been attributed to Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister for uh, Nazi Germany, uh, and it's well attested in history and everything else. But, but this quote, a lot of people think it really didn't come from Goebbels. He just picked it up from Lenin, who was a communist. But here's what Goebbels supposedly said. 
If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. You get that? That's why secular governments have to lie to you all the time. They have to throw God out the window. They've got to sweep him under the rug. They have to come up with all these, uh, these other false religious atheistic type beliefs. Basically, it's point three here for this particular video. It's talking about the false religion of secularism. Secularism is the principle of seeking to conduct human affairs based on secular, naturalistic considerations. Secularism is most commonly defined as the separation of religion from civic affairs and the state and may be broadened to a similar position concerning the need to remove or minimize the role of religion in any public sphere. The term secularism has a broad range of meanings and in the most schematic may encapsulate any stance that promotes the secular in any given context. It may connote anti-clericalism, atheism, naturalism, non-sectarianism, neutrality on topics of religion, or the complete removal of religious symbols from public institutions. Okay, so what am I talking about here? I'm talking about a major delusion is from secularism. I just gave you the definition of it. It's, it's a form of government that's going on, and it's really taking over the Western governments. Even at the time I'm doing this video, in the 21st century, it's happening right before my eyes. Uh, our government, which used to care about Christianity and all that, they're, they're, they're just throwing it out wholesale. They don't care anymore. They want all this other stuff that's totally anti-God, anti-biblical, and it's anti-Christ. That's what our government's becoming. It's just an anti-Christ type government because it's so secular and it wants to throw all religion out. Unless it's a phony religion, they can utilize their purposes. And telling the truth is not one of their, their factors. So with a secular government, like Goebbels said, and Lenin before him, uh, you, don't, you can't really expect the truth coming out of them because they want to maintain their power and get rid of God and be the big brother. And it goes back to George Orwell <laughs> in his 1984 book where he predicted all this. And basically what we're living in the 21st century is 1984 revisited, which is just old-style communism from Stalin and Lenin and totalitarianism that Hitler displayed. And of course... When you look at socialism, socialism uh, is both both Nazi Germany and communist Russia were just two sides of the same coin. On one side, you've got Nazi Germany, which is 
a communism, a, a uh, socialism, I should say, that's predicated on race. We are the master race. The Jews are the undermension, and they are the, in all these other races like the Slavs and stuff, they're, they're the under race. They're, they're the less than good guys, uh, the, the, and they should be subjugated. So their socialism applies to the master race, those that deserve and those that don't deserve. And, and then when you look at the socialism of communism, well, that's just the other side of the coin with the Nazi socialism. It's just they're not approaching it from the racial, like it's predicated on race. They look at it as class warfare. It's class. Well, look at these rich guys over here. And then there's the poor people. And everybody should be even. And you, you can't have these classes with all this money and then have all these other lower people. It's not fair. It should be even. But communism never works anyway because you, you still have the elites in communism that run everything. And they get all the extra perks and stuff, even when they're claiming that everybody's going to be even. So what can I say? It, socialism is not the way the Bible presents the way the society should be run. It, the governments are there in Romans 13 to set up fairness and ensure law and order, but to enforce righteousness and goodness, not evil. But that's what's going on in the governments these days. They're doing evil instead of the good that Romans 13 talks about in the Bible. Okay, with that, I'm going to go to some clips that will get into more detail on all this stuff. Psalm 2, the Messiah's triumph and kingdom. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. And obviously this messianic psalm written by King David before the birth of Christ is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Amen. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bends asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let me interpret that to you. Here is the full and the complete explanation. Notice to start with that all are involved in this. The kings of the earth 
and the rulers, they're involved in this, the judges of the earth, and also the masses of the common people. The people listen to their teachers. They're all involved in this. You see, there is no section of society that isn't involved, but it is particularly true of the leaders, the great men of the earth. In every realm, they stand up against God, and they ignore him and they defy him. It's true, I say, of the philosophers and the politicians, as well as the ordinary men and women. Tom, Dick, and Harry at the street corner are saying exactly the same thing as your great philosophers. Nothing in religion. Tommy Roth played out this idea of God. We are going to make humanism is the solution. Kings, philosophers, princes, common people. All are involved in this rebellion against God. The whole world lieth guilty before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But notice the next thing. Not only are all involved in it, but notice the deliberation with which they do it. The kings of the earth set themselves and uh, the rulers take counsel together. Now this is the most terrible part of this whole subject. It isn't as it were something unconscious. It is very deliberate. Mankind has deliberately rebelled against God. They have set themselves and they are still setting themselves. They meet in their societies. They have humanistic societies and associations. They gather together. They take counsel together. They write their books together and praise one another. There is an organization of evil against God in this world. They do it quite deliberately. Against the Lord and against his anointed. Against God and against his plans and his purposes. This is, I say, the most appalling aspect of the whole thing. The trouble with the human race is not that it's just slack or indolent. It has deliberately and of set purpose, malice aforethought, decided, determined, and organized itself in opposition to God. And if you can't see that in the world tonight, you must be very blind, my friend. If you can't see the powers that are organizing evil behind your newspapers, your television, and all the modern evil that leads to the muddle, you are very blind, I say. It is deliberate organization. Anti-God. But let's go on. Why do they do this? Here's the extraordinary thing. Why does mankind organize itself deliberately against God. Why do they say we don't want God? We don't believe in God. God's a figment. Why is this done with such assiduity, with such deliberation, with such organization, with such zest and enthusiasm? Why do men glory in this? Well, here's the amazing answer. They do it because of the enmity that is in their hearts against God. Listen to what they say. They betray themselves. They say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What does this mean? Well, you see, what it means is this. That they're animated by this enmity against God and his holy laws. The Apostle Paul has summed that up in a great statement in the 8th chapter of his epistle to the Romans and in verse 7 when he says, the natural mind is enmity against God, is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. 
enmity against God. You notice what they feel about God and about his holy laws. They regard these things as bands, as restraints. They regard them as cords, as shackles. You see, God made men and he made the world, and he gave men certain laws and certain rules by which to live. God has given them for our benefit and for our help. We need instruction. We all need instruction. And God, in his love and in his kindness and compassion, has given us instruction. He's given us the Ten Commandments. He's given us the Sermon on the Mount. He's given us the teaching of the great prophets. He's given us the teaching of his own blessed and dear Son. And all this teaching is meant for our good. The laws of God are meant to show us how to live a righteous life and a holy life and a peaceful life. Again, to quote the Apostle Paul, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy, in the Holy Ghost. God didn't make his laws simply to keep us down and to fetter us and to enchain us. God made his laws in order to help us, for our benefit, to teach us how to live and how to have a full life and an enjoyable life and a life of bliss and of happiness. That's why God has ever given us his laws and his great commandments. But mankind, instead of thanking God for that, regards this as something intolerable. It refers to all this as bands as fetters, as chains. They say that he's making slaves of us and he's binding us with cords. We've got it in us to be great, but here's God clamping us down, clamping down upon us and making us slaves and servants. That's the attitude of mankind. That's why your world is as it is tonight. Oh, I've often said it from this pulpit. Let me say it again on this remembrance Sunday night. If only every man and woman in this world and every nation in this world tonight were living according to the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, this world would be paradise. There'd be no trouble in the United Nations. You wouldn't need them. If only everybody lived according to God's laws, according to God's ways, according to God's view of life, these problems would disappear nationally, internationally, personally, individually, socially, and in every other respect. The world would become the paradise that it was when God originally made it. There are laws in paradise, and paradise is paradise because it observed the laws. The moment you break laws, you get chaos, confusion, strife. world becomes like a raging sea when it cannot rest. But that's it, you see. Man in his utter folly and blindness regards the goodness of God as some incubus, as some kind of fettering and enchaining and slavery, and he rebels against it. And notice his self-confidence. Here's the second part of the explanation. Let us, they say, let us break their bends asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. You watch that expression, let us, in the Bible. You go back and read the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, and you'll find men again rebelling against God, saying, let us build a tower up to heaven. Let us. You see the confidence? This is the thing that damns the human race, this fatal self-confidence. 
You remember what they did at the time of Moses. Moses was up in the mountain with God and he stayed there a long time. And they said, what's happened to this Moses? We don't know. Let us make another God. Let's, let us make a golden calf and worship him. And they did. And that's what the world's still doing. Let us. Oh, the confidence of men. They look at God and his holy laws and they say, let us break them. Let's smash them. Let's do away with them. Let's emancipate ourselves. Let's be free. Let us rise up and get rid of this tyranny that God has imposed upon us. They think they can do it. They think they can succeed in making a world such as they would have and enjoying themselves without any trouble or any interference. Man believes that he can liberate himself from God and from God's holy laws. That's the explanation of the trouble. But let me take you on to the next step. Having considered the cause of this condition, let us now look at the folly of this condition. The folly. Oh, this is the tragedy of the human race. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What does all that mean? Oh, this is the response of God to this folly of mankind to this raging, to this imagining of vain things, to this fatal self-confidence that believes it can defy God and smash his rules and his laws. This is God's response to it all. What's the trouble with mankind this evening? Oh, there's only one answer. It is men's fatal ignorance of God. That's the theme of the whole Bible. Our blessed Lord at the end of his life uttered this in his great high priestly prayer. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. That's always the trouble with the world. It doesn't know God. The psalmists have got a very graphic and dramatic way of putting that at times. One of them puts it like this. He says that God looked upon the men and said, Thou thoughtest that I was just such another as thyself. And that's what we all tend to do. We measure God by ourselves and our own measure. We sit in judgment upon God. We are so great, of course. We are the 20th century people, are we not? We've got this great knowledge science. God, God is the subject for analysis upon our laboratory table. We, great men... And so we stand up to God and we think that we can defy him and without him we can make our perfect world. But my dear friends, listen to the answer. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It's a terrifying thought, this. That the great God is looking down upon our world this evening, our clever world. The world that thought that Charles Darwin's one book, The Origin of Species, was going to get rid of God. 
You know, there's only one thing to do with people who can believe a thing like that. It is to laugh them out of God. It is to ridicule them out of the universe. And God is doing that. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Why? Well, because of who he is and what he is. He sits in the heavens. People get up and say, let us break his bends in sunder and cast away his cords from us. And they're saying that about the one who sits in the heavens. We've got so excited recently, haven't we, about these men we can send up into orbit. Heavens. They haven't smelt it. They haven't come anywhere near to seeing it. We're only children playing with toys. God sits upon the heavens. He suspends the north on nothing. He dwells in eternity. He's the creator and the ruler of this universe. He's not only its maker, I say he is its ruler. He's made it. He owns it. He's controlling it. Whether we like it or not. That's where he sits on the throne of glory over the whole universe, seeing the end from the beginning. Not only that, let us never forget that he is the judge. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. My dear friends, we are living in a moral universe. I know the immoral and the amoral today don't believe that, but we are. You see, there are laws that you cannot tamper with. You put your finger in the fire, it will be burned. You wish you could change that, don't you? But you can't. And you try and play fast and loose with God's laws, you'll soon find that they work inexorably. The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding small. And God is the judge, and his laws are standing and are abiding. He has said there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That's why you've had your two world wars. That's why this is Remembrance Day. That's why the world is in trouble. You do what you like. You stand up against God. You write your blueprints of your utopias. You'll never get it. You'll be in trouble. You'll be in misery. It'll be war and rumor of war. Why? Because you're defying God who owns the universe and who's the judge of the ends of the earth. He said it and he's done it. His wrath, his indignation, his fury. Oh, how can anybody who's ever read the Bible or even read human history, secular history, doubt this for a moment? But listen, beyond all this, this is where we see the folly of this attitude of mankind. They're standing up and trying to defy God's plan and purpose for this universe against the Lord and his anointed. This is the amazing thing, that men don't realize that God has got a plan, he's got a great purpose. He began to reveal it away back at the beginning and the origin of the human race. Even when man fell, he began to reveal it. Man brought down sin and chaos upon himself and judgment, but God said, it's all right, I've got a plan. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. There's the beginning, the outline, and on and on it goes. He carries it on. You'll find it running through the whole of the Old Testament. God's increasing, certain, sure plan 
Read the story of the children of Israel. God made them. They get into trouble and their enemies conquer over them. God delivers them. And the enemies are discomfited. Back again it happens. Back they're delivered again. It's the whole story of the Old Testament. But as those early Christians realized so clearly in that upper room in Jerusalem, it is in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that this is demonstrated most clearly. There, you see, the kings and the rulers set themselves into council together. Your Herods, your Pontius Pilate. You see, the king, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the ruler, they come together. And the peoples and the heathen and the Jews they're all in it and they're all together against this Christ they say away with him crucify him Herod and Pilate became friends together who were formerly at enmity and here they are they all together conspire and they say get rid of him away with him and they did and they began to shout and to acclaim and they began to laugh in triumph and then God laughed and laughed them to nothing in the fact of the resurrection he revealed their unutterable folly by raising his son again from the dead and manifesting him into chosen witnesses and then taking him back to himself in the glory. You see, this is a part of God's plan. And let men and let the devil and let hell all come out together with their last reserves against him. He'll triumph and conquer over them all. He did it in the resurrection. There he puts them to an open shame, triumphing over them in the very thing which they have done to him. And you see, this is only a prophecy in a sense of what is yet to happen. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's what the Father has said to the Son. He is not only going to give him the heathen for his inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession, he has made him the judge. He has committed judgment unto him. Okay, now we're down to our last point here. Uh, this one is, human socialist governments are gods to the people according to the religion of secularism. And you've already mentioned that as well. And would never lie to the people, thus their job is to make the people think they are only doing what is in their best interests. Now, uh, I go into a definition from Wikipedia, uh, the dictionary there, the, the internet dictionary, about what secularism is, you know. And it, it can be a, a number of things, naturalism, atheism, anti-religion, things of that nature, belief in no God, so forth. And I also, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll play it right now. I already did it earlier. I quoted Goebbels. You may have heard of Joseph Goebbels of Nazi Germany. Mm. And uh, I've mentioned Lenin as well from uh, communist Russia. Uh, they basically said, if you tell a lie long enough to a lot of people, eventually they'll believe it as the truth. You know, it's basically brainwashing is what's going on. Now the message was in every respect, total. Goebbels in the sports palace. 
He wanted public approval for a total war on the home front as well. The pinnacle of his speeches, painstakingly rehearsed. How to bring a people to the point of madness. That night, Goebbels said, if I had ordered them to jump from the roof of a tall building, they'd have done it. What total war meant, people soon found out. So we have uh, these socialist governments that are going, and I think it's happening here where we are in America. We, we, we got... Uh, a government that is telling you things that you kind of think of, uh, that's really not the truth, what they're saying, you know, about this, that, and the other. Uh, because, you know, if you know the Word of God, then you know that whatever they're promoting is not what God would have. So that's how you tell uh, the, the dichotomy between them. So do you think when you have a place like Romans 13 where we have, we're supposed to obey the government, the authorities and stuff, because they are there to punish the evil and make sure that the evil people are, are punished according to the way God has governments set up according to Romans 13. Or what do you do when a government is actually promoting evil and punishing the good, if you know what I'm saying? What was what is your reaction to someone who's basically where the governments these days are flipping Romans thirteen on his head? Well, you gotta obey the government because you gotta you gotta get these abortions, you gotta do this, that, and the other, and they're actually rewarding the evil and not the good. So, what do you have to say about that? Well, a uh, uh, couple of things that you mentioned, Larry. In the first place. I think that we have to understand that if there is no God in the government and the government is God, then the government is going to make decisions for people as though it were God. Mm -hmm. And the socialistic point of view is that the government can take better care of people than people can take care of themselves. And there's to a certain degree a point to that. But, Behind the scenes, the socialist leaders are allowing uh, people to lose track of personal responsibility and there is no personal morality. So as a result, they made it easier for people to, for instance, not work than to work, mm -hmm. to, to not apply themselves. And of course, when, when it comes to population control, on the one hand, the socialists are encouraging people to have babies that they can't afford to have and to 
multiply the stipends for and the and the food stamps and the aid to dependent children and this sort of thing, the safety net. Uh, but it's irresponsible for some people to bring babies into the world that they can't take care of, and they're relying upon the government to do that. So that's one push. That that kind of thinking is a socialistic thinking because we'll take care of you if you do, but you'll forever be taken care of by us. And you'll never be able to rise up in this society. You'll be limited to where you can live, how big a house you can have, the kind of car that you might be able to drive, because we're going to put a cap on your earnings because your earnings are from the government. So it's one way of controlling the population. Another way of controlling the population is letting the people do what's right in their own eyes, encourage them to have abortions. Because after all, if it is irresponsible for you to have babies that you can't afford, the answer is not morality. The answer is a greater immorality. Kill your babies. So they've got them coming and going. And that that so that socialism mentality will destroy this nation because what it does, it feeds upon the idea that the government owes me something. And if I play my cards right, the government will pay me something and I'll do everything within my power to gain that government security. And that's just going to destroy the human being. It's going to destroy the nation ultimately, or it will turn it into a, a Chinese oligarchy, which you see what that does over in these uh, third world countries as well. Right. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that uh, this point of view is disturbing. So what to do when the government is responsible before God to enforce laws that punish the evil, but instead they create laws that encourage the evil? Well, in America, we vote them out. In America, we vote them out. I, I can't I can't imagine that this nation is so dull and has been so inbred in collecting a government paycheck and has, has been so uh, blind to what that does to the human being as far as just his self-esteem, just his ability to feel good about himself and to be productive and to understand that work is good and it's God-given and it's part of our human nature to want to be productive and want to work and want to take care of our loved ones and want to take care of our family. I can't believe that they are so blinded to the fact that the socialists would rather have you taken care of by the government. But Big right now, right now, our only, our, our only way of remedy is to vote into people, uh, vote people into high office at the state, local, and federal level who understand that the, the way it has been going is anti-Christ, anti-scriptural, anti-God, and there's no God in the world. It's void. As you say, it's the death culture over there. Will that work? I don't know. Uh, the insurrection... Uh, so claimed by the Democrats uh, during the uh, the mob scene at the, the White House has been given much play in the media. And uh, I, I'm not for a violent um, revolution in this nation, but I certainly am for everything 
politically that can be done to put into office men and women of integrity, character, and yes, I want Christians in places of authority, Christians who believe in God, who go to God, who search the scriptures, and who stand by the principles that God has laid down for mankind. I'll give you an interesting um, observation. I was listening to a recording by a very fine Bible teacher on Genesis chapter 9. You know, when God destroyed the world through the universal flood, how many people were left afterwards, Larry? Eight people, right? So God spoke to Noah, right? And what did he tell him? He, he said to him, there's going to be a new way of living. And this is universal. There's no Israel at this point. There's no nations at this point. It's universal. And here is what we're going to do. If a man commits premeditated murder of another man, then his life is to be taken from him. That's called capital punishment. And it's handed down by God. It's not a committee, Democrat committee, Republican committee. It's not an oligarchy. It's not a national Supreme Court. It's God Almighty who says directly, if a man commits premeditated murder and kills his fellow man, his blood will be the price that he pays for that. And I view that and I say, wow, God actually laid the foundation for capital punishment in the case of murder. Well, what have we done as a nation and what have other nations done? They've turned their back on the mandate. And they say, no, well, we're not, not going to do that. Well, what they want to do is kill the babies who haven't done anything wrong and not kill murderers, convicted murderers, mass murderers. And precisely, so many- <laughs> precisely. How long can a nation last that says no to a universal mandate handed down by God Almighty and at the same time say yes to a court mandate that allows for the destruction of a baby in the womb. That's our nation. What God's going to do with this nation, I don't know. You can't predict. You don't know what he's going to do. But would it be surprising if he brought destruction to this nation? Not to me. I mean, that is just a flat-out national denial of God. And, And the president can pray all he wants to. He can talk about He's teaching God, and he says things like, God Almighty, somebody help us. How can this happen? And you you look at this and you say, how can this happen? How can a man get get an uh, AK-15, an an assault weapon, and mow down 20 people? Because his heart is wicked and deceitful, and nobody's taken into account the wickedness of mankind and the laws reflect that because they're not punishing the evildoer. Now, because we have secularism here, they don't believe in any morality except whatever they, through relativism, want to make up as some kind of ethereal what's right and wrong. And that's when it's relative, then you can make evil right and the good wrong. So when you vote for candidates, that have no morality, and their party may even stand for immorality. So why, 
why would you be surprised when all kinds of weird stuff happens that looks evil in most people's eyes when the the people in control are actually from their secularism promoting immorality so it shouldn't surprise any of us but now you finish up on this point uh you mentioned how the government wants to be big brother and have everybody in debt to them and therefore they get to be god to the people and they were giving everybody people are quit working because they they love those free the free money coming from the government so they can be lazy and not work or whatever uh but we know from the bible particularly in the book of proverbs god talks about sluggards a lot a lot about sluggards so we have i even did a video with Bob L. Ross on that, on <laughs> sluggards, <laughs> what Proverbs said about. Uh, so from your knowledge of Proverbs, uh, God really appreciates sluggards and people that don't work. Is that right? In Proverbs? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just can't help but think the, uh, the breeding ground for this sort of thing is the loss of God, first of all, in our schools, We've turned our back on God in our schools. It's against school policy for a football coach to kneel. And yeah, but Dar- Darwin's theory of evolution goes against prayer. But anyway, go right. ahead. Right. So, so when you eliminate God, then there's no standard. There's no, there's no baseline. And does it surprise us if you tell people that they are just the highest form of an animal and there's no meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And then they go out and act like animals, like there's no meaning to it. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. And so we have a breeding ground in America for this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, to bring it up to date, I don't know if you heard the, the story of this guy who got a rifle and got angry and, started shooting up the house of a woman that he knew and she was at her kitchen sink and the bullets are coming through the windows and through the house itself. He's just firing away and she's on her hands and knees trying to protect her child. She knew who this guy was. He came out after her. Mm -hmm. And so the police arrive on the scene and, you know, they announce that they are the police loudspeaker and trying to calm this guy down, which is all right. And um, they talk to him for a little while, but he won't put down the rifle and he won't stop firing. So he commences his firing again. So what happens? A sniper, a police sniper, draws a beat on the guy and takes him out, shoots him dead. And to me, I'm thinking, well done, police. That's your responsibility. That's law. That's order. That's putting to death the evil. That won't stop trying to put the death to good, all right? Mm-hmm. So it's a simple case. Well, the aftermath of this is insane. Mm-hmm. Every socialistic, anti-Christ, anti-godly organization, it seems, showed up at this and started screaming at the police. Even the wife of the man who was trying to kill this woman in the house said, The police had no right to shoot my husband. They shot him. They shot him down like he was a dog or something. They have, and she's screaming this as loud as she can. And then, of course, uh, these, these, uh, activist groups started showing up and marching and screaming and chanting. And I'm watching this 
And I'm thinking, it's a breeding ground. They don't see it. They don't see that the, the man refused to stop trying to kill. Therefore, they killed him. Mm-hmm. Did everybody not breathe a sigh of relief when a 22-year-old man with his girlfriend in a shopping mall took his gun out and killed a man before he could slaughter anybody else in Indiana two days mm-hmm. ago? Hey, uh, if, if, if there's any morality left in this nation, everybody breathes a sigh of relief because he took action against the evil. Our government won't take action against the evil. On uh, uh, the morning news this morning, I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, the man directly responsible for the uh, immigration of the United States of America continues to claim from Washington, D.C., that the southern border of Texas is completely under control and it's closed. And and everybody's looking at him in disbelief. What is the matter with you? It's not closed. They're streaming across in droves. How can you say this? How could Joseph Goebbels say? Right. The government lies. They lie all the time. All, all we're doing is we're following our mandate to protect ourselves. That's why we're dropping bombs on London every night for an entire mm-hmm. year almost. Mm-hmm. We're protecting ourselves. Because yeah. the, the it's the British World War II, right? Yeah, During exactly. World War II, right? Yeah, we're switching so, it, lying about everything, and we're seeing so, the same kind of thing today. Uh, so, so it's a breeding ground for lying, and since truth has fallen in the streets, uh, who will you believe after a while? I mean, well, that's you can what Gerbil said. Remember, yeah. he said that truth is the biggest enemy to a government. A, you know, a government that uh, promotes lies. You don't want truth. You want lies to yeah. be so the people will be in submission to you. Now, I want to wrap this show up uh, so, so we get on some other programs we want, we want to do. But uh, right. anyway, you're talking about how people can be standing after a, a sniper takes out a killer uh, who refuses and he's still in the process of trying to kill other people. Uh, and people come over and get all mad and upset. Now, I, at the beginning of this program, I read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And over and over again, a couple of times at least, in that chapter, in that section, that passage, uh, it said God turns people over to a reprobate mind, to a reprobate mind. Now, if you're still living and you're under the curse from God that you've been turned over to a reprobate mind, yeah. What kind of person are you going to be like if you, yeah. for the sake of uh, the audience watching right now about maybe they never even heard of the word reprobate, but could you give us a quick explanation yeah. of um, what a person would act like, what they'd be like if they're under the curse of God, that God would turn them over to a reprobate mind? How would they act? Uh, the, the greatest fear that a Christian has, and I'm talking Christians, even Christians sin, right? We, we're yes. not perfect. We, we sin. We make mistakes. And some Christians sin more than others. And I would think the greatest fear of the Christian would be, Lord, don't turn me over to my sinfulness. Don't let go of me. Don't 
leave me in this. I don't want this. I know I've done it. I know I've sinned, but don't turn me over to it. So the idea of a reprobate mind from scripture is when God removes the restraint, he hardens the conscience, he sears the conscience, and he simply turns people over to what's inside of them. And they don't even know how wicked and evil it is inside of them. So he turns them over to it. And then they, they, can't, they can't leave it. It's like people being addicted to drugs. They can't leave it. They, people addicted to violence, they can't leave it. People who are addicted to alcohol, they can't leave it. People who are addicted to pornography and, and sexual immorality, they can't leave it. Because God has turned them over to it. And after a while, they just accept it as a way of life. It's, it's kind of inevitable in their minds that this is who I am. This is what I do. So after a while, we just they just begin to think, well, I'm human. And that's what humans do. And we want to say to them, no, no, no. You're outside of God's limits and limitations. And you've been turned over by God to it. And so we would pray for them and we would continue to inform them that it's wrong. No matter how many excuses you make for it, it's wrong. And every time there's a mass shooting and a mass killing, you have people in the media saying, how can this be? And not one person ever stands up and says it can be. Because the Bible says the heart is wicked and evil above all else. And no one can really know his own wickedness. That's the truth of scripture. So when God turns you over to what you are, you've got a reprobate mind. And it goes on and on and on and on. How on earth can an entire nation, Germany, be duped into thinking that it's a pretty good idea to kill, what, six million Jews, slaughter them, shoot them for fun, destroy them. You talk about being turned over to a reprobate mind, that's unthinkable. But yet in our day, think about this. Teenage girls crying and weeping and moaning and holding each other and holding hands on their knees because somebody might take away their right to murder their baby. You don't think there's a reprobate mind out there? It's there. I always thought it was interesting that uh, the uh, Nazis always, yeah, the number, like you just stated, is six million Jews were exterminated by the Nazis. But it's interesting that uh, even the secularists always say how terrible the Nazis were but then they themselves promote abortion. And in this country, we've had over 60 million abortions since Roe versus Wade was passed back there, I think 1973. 60 million. So we're, we're 10 times worse than the Nazis. You know, do you get that? 10 yeah. times worse in the, in the numbers. Yeah. 60 yeah. million the- babies. <laughs> I know it, and it's and it's okay. It's not okay with some who have abortions and realize what they've done is wrong. 
there might be a large group out there that say, oh my gosh, I've killed my baby. And the post-abortion effects on some of these women is just lifetime and it's terrible. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that every person who does it does it with glee and happiness and it doesn't matter. I'm saying that the government says it's okay to do it. Mm -hmm. And then there are a lot out there that say, I'm going to do it simply because I want to kill. I want to kill that baby. The culture I'm gonna of death. It. Yeah. So. It's a matter of inconvenience. So, yeah. Okay. So to conclude here, we find that these delusions and which go on, as I mentioned, the, the illusion there's no God, like evolution, and you come up with the Big Bang, come up with all that stuff. You, you, the delusion that God's not in control of the universe or weather, the delusion of global warming, it's all man's fault, so we got to kill off a lot of people so we can save this planet ourselves through our own efforts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the delusion of secular socialism uh, to uh, make, in, instead of God, make the government, which turns the laws of God on their head to do evil instead of good, that delusion, it just, it kind of reminds me of a, a recipe. If you're going to be a mad scientist in a laboratory and you're putting all these elements together, you throw these this delusion here, that delusion. It's like you're, you're creating something far worse than Frankenstein's monster here for evil and immorality on an incredible uh, scale. So it reminds me of what Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I almost see end-time prophecy. You know, I don't know when, what day it is. I mean, Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour, but, I mean, you're looking at a world that seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, just as the scripture describes what it'll be like. You know, be, you remember what happened in Noah's flood, how bad it got. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's with the recipe this mad scientist in the laboratory is putting together here from these three delusions. It's looking yeah. like it's, it's a recipe that unless there's just a, a big time, uh, big time a revival sent by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't look like that to me. It looks like the wrath of God bringing judgment down by allowing all this to happen, by turning mm -hmm. disease of people over to a reprobate mind, the government yeah. and everything else. So it's, you know, all I know is the people watching this, it's, it's really gloomy and stuff, but just if you have Jesus Christ, give us the gospel, brother. For a second, tell us how there's a way out of this. Maybe not for everybody, but for individuals hearing this video, and and maybe they're not born again. What would you tell them right now on a way out of this mess? Go ahead. Well, I think that uh, the only remedy for any nation is for the gospel to take hold in the Lamb, and for the leaders who are going to lead a nation forward to be informed of all of their decisions by the word of God, of course. But how do we get to that point? Well, you're going to have to get to that point by telling people the gospel. You're going to have to be straightforward with people. There is a another delusion out there that we haven't even touched upon is that most people in this nation believe that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. The idea that God loves you 
is so dominant and predominant in this nation, and I think it's helped along by false prophets and people who should know better if they study their Bible. And they should tell the people the truth, that the wrath of God abides upon them, and that uh, unless they repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and take his righteousness as their own, they have no hope either here on earth or in the eternal life to come. The, we've lost the cutting edge of the gospel because we've refused to tell the people exactly who they are and what their heart is before God. I know that there are a lot of well-meaning, nice guy pastors and teachers out there that are radio personalities who continue to provide momentum for delusional thinking when it comes to God. God is not a God who is confused and who is out of touch with this world and who can't do anything about anything and is there just to love people. On the contrary, God is actively involved with this planet of ours. He's actively involved in saving people from their sins, scraping them out of the situations that they're in reforming them, giving them new hearts and minds. We're going to talk about that in the Christian Worldview video that we're going to do. But we got to start with the truth, Larry. And the truth is that if you're outside of Christ, the wrath of God abides upon you and every single sin you commit is added to the warehouse, the storehouse of wrath that God has waiting for you at the end of your life. And there will be a resurrection. And at the resurrection, all those who are in Christ will enter eternal bliss with God in heaven. And all those who are outside of Christ will enter into an eternal hell, separated from God, and never, ever, ever have an opportunity to experience the joy of heaven and the benefits of what Christ has done for sinners like you and me. I wish we could be truthful from the pulpits about what God condemns. God does condemn killing babies in the womb. God does condemn the practicing of homosexuality. God does condemn pornea, sexual immorality. God does condemn sin. And he condemns it again and again and again and again. And the warning is clear. It's crystal clear. That's why the uh, Apostle Paul and the early apostles traveled about and they preached a straightforward gospel. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God. That was well said, Brother Rob. We we're about out of time here for this segment. I'm going to back up what you said for a minute there on something, a, a verse I like to use to prove to people on that delusion you brought up. That was a good point, a delusion that everybody thinks God loves them. And I always like to quote uh, Hosea chapter 9, starting in verse 14 through 
16 says, Give them, O Lord, that wilt, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Verse 15, all their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. 16, Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, they will bring forth. Yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. My God will cast them away because they will not hearken unto him and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Now, right there in that one passage, you, you see God says, I hate them. And I love them no more. And then that wrath and everything you're talking about comes down on their heads. Now, that's just one of many passages we could bring up on this subject. But uh, anyway, we need to wrap the show up. Just wanted to, But you brought up an excellent point about that delusion at the end there, brother. And uh, the need for the gospel. I mean, big time. They need Christ. People need Christ. They need to believe the gospel that he died and raised from dead for and those who put their trust in Christ and Christ alone by faith alone. They will be the ones that can get themselves out of that. Now, well, they can't really. It's God's grace that gets them out of this mess. But uh, they need to repent and believe, as Brother Rob said. Well, brother, it's great having you with me as usual. I'm looking forward to doing some more shows with you here on uh, the Christian Life and worldview, which you were mentioning, you've already mentioned a couple times. So people, mm -hmm. if they see this show, be looking for that one when we get it up on our YouTube channel. Okay, with that, I'm going to sign us off, brother. Thanks again for joining us here. Okay, uh, this is Larry Wessels for Christian Answers. I want to thank you for being with us for this particular broadcast. Join us again next time. And remember this: Jesus said, John 14:6. In John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You're not gonna you're not gonna get to God through any other Jesus than the Jesus of the Word of God. Of course, the governments and people that don't want to believe in this, but the Word God protects His Word. He sets His Word above His own name. That's Psalm 138, verse two. If God protects His Word like that and puts His own Word above His own name then God's protecting his word even down through all these thousands of years to where we are right now. So you can trust his word and believe it. And so cry out to God to save you from your sins. And the, and the Holy Spirit may have mercy on you. God doesn't have to do anything. He's the sovereign. But you're nothing. Just cry out to God to have mercy on you like that That. That wretched uh, tax gatherer, he's there while that, that uh, Pharisee who thought he was so great talking to God, but God had mercy on the, 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 the tax guy who had his face down. He knew it wasn't worth anything, and he needed mercy. And God gave mercy to the tax guy instead of the sinful uh, religious dude. So don't, uh, don't uh, fall in the... The trap of just thinking, oh, God owes it to you. He doesn't owe you anything. He owes you judgment. That's what he owes you. Well, anyway, God bless you all. Join us again next time. Bye-bye.
If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.